Hello, hello. It is a Monday. Uh, it is seven o'clock in the UK, and that means only one thing: that everyone else is turning on their TV to watch uh, the end of the local news and the weather. Um, or you're here to watch Tony Grounds with us, which is probably an infinitely better choice if you're looking for the forecast of all a song of ice and fire stuff. Ah, see what I did there. See, it was clever, right? Anyway, as per usual, no, um, my terrible, terrible time introducing this show is introduced by the not-so-terrible, not-so-sultry-looking uh, man over there. It is Carlo. Uh, Carlo, the breaker of change, the Kalasar leader of... Uh, I was going to say something beginning with K, I have nothing. Um, and uh, the man of many tournament wins. Uh, Carlo Many Cups, as we're now calling him. Um <laughs> Always nice to have another cup. Mm -hmm. I, I really did actually legit get a cup. Like, a massive cup. Mm -hmm. that's, that's not me holding it close to the camera. Like, you know, like, this is way bigger than me. Mm -hmm. so it's impressive. What are you going to store in that one? I know you've got your blood of your enemies in one of the ones from earlier on in the year. You've got... yeah. You don't use one for, like, just pebbles that you find on beaches that you randomly scour. Uh, what's one this is going to be for? Uh, tears, mostly tears. My tears. tears, other people's tears. Just generic website tears. tears. Yeah. <laughs> People telling me the website doesn't work. Tears. That's what I'll put in that one. I don't. It has to be that big. That's that's how much. That's how much people make me cry. <laughs> Eventually, you might have enough DNA among all those tears to actually create something as well, and you'll be the new uh, the new Kyburn. Which, to be honest, I mean, you are basically Kyburn, unlikable and kind of mad. So, <laughs> um... I prefer Tywin. <laughs> You think this is you think you're Tywin. <laughs> um, anyway, anyway, we're we're here. Um, right. So, um, as as the the title of today's episode suggests, we are going to be discussing uh, Redcar uh, and our experience there. Obviously, the pair of us were away there at the weekend. Uh, it's not the only event that ran. We're going to look at a couple of other things as well. Do a bit of a like a tournament review kind of segment, if you will, or. Uh, discussion had a couple of questions as well which we're going to go through as well um and then we're going to see where it kind of takes us um and uh yeah we'll we'll see what happens uh obviously all of this, works this week yeah all of this is pending whether or not we have carlo or carlo's alternative otherwise known as carlo bot um by the way carlo bot has a much nicer personality than carlo um anyway so mostly because he doesn't talk <laughs> uh this is the simon Seem on censoring. This is what this is. Anyway, uh, so yesterday uh, we were at Redka. Um, woke up at some like I, I'm not 90% sure that this time exists on a Sunday morning, but something like six o'clock on Sunday morning. I, I I didn't think Sundays had a six o'clock in the morning. Nah, not I have to say. Um, I didn't get up that early. <laughs> <laughs> Mickey nobly for some reason decided to get the train even though I had said I would give him a lift <laughs> so I, I won't lie right I chose to get the train because I hadn't done it like I hadn't got the train to Redka from where I am before and I was actually I wanted to experience it to see what the journey was like and it wasn't that bad for the grand scheme of things right so it's something that I'm looking at thinking like maybe I can just go over to Redka for games days and things mm -hmm, like that mm -hmm. And not feel like that's an actual trek or an effort to do. Um, but yeah, it was a pain in the fucking ass. Um, yeah, yeah, I. They, they are close enough. Redka is close enough to us that you know. I really, really hope that we can 
play with them more often, but like it's just far enough that it feels like it needs to be an event before you know people are able to go and play. You can't really just go for like one game in the evening. I mean, you could if we were desperate, but you know, there's uh, there's uh, other places to play around the area. But you know, it it, it it's hard to get people together. It's hard to get people uh, arriving on the same day. Hard to um, grow uh, grow a really consistent group, but they have a really good consistent group. I've seen the same guys a lot of times now. They've travelled. First time I ever met them actually was when they travelled over to just play in Liverpool. Met like a good group of like five of them. Then, but like there is maybe eight to even possibly ten all told of them playing out of uh, out of the gaming figure store in Redka. Gaming figures itself is. You know, honestly, like one of the biggest UK stockists, which considering that it's just a small store in a seaside town, yeah. <laughs> which is what Redker is, is like a really, uh, really odd place for uh, such a such an active community to exist. But um, mm-hmm. it just shows that well, it's interesting, actually, it goes on from a little bit around, you know, the whole discussion we're having about US, UK, lots of that kind of include, you know, Carried on on the Discord quite a bit. People talking about like what the differences are and why the US has trouble. Uh, Redco really isn't a very big place at all, um, you know, and 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 the area is hardly dent, you know, has hardly any kind of population density at all. Uh, but they've managed to achieve a really good, stable group of ten players. Now I'm not saying ten players is mind blowing or anything like that. But uh, but it but it but it really shows that like it's not necessarily just population size and population density um, that gets you there. I think I think it's about you know kind of about community leaders and drivers that kind of create create these this community that people want to be part of. Uh, so you know I think I think they do great there. Like I really really enjoy getting to play against those guys. Yeah yeah. Um, Redco. I just wanted to point out like Redco's not big um, at all. Uh, to put it in perspective, where like where I am, I live in uh, Darlington, and Darlington, by comparison, is probably larger than Redka in terms of population. Um, you got Middlesbrough, that is kind of between me and me and Redka. Uh, that's not big, but it is a city, uh, basically as close as you get to a city in the UK, anyway, outside of the likes of Birmingham and London. Um, and then realistically, there's the odd towns, mining villages, and things like this um, between there and Durham. But there's basically nothing between there and Durham, yeah. and, and this is not a, a, a high population. Okay, that's not far; it's only a half mile hour drive. But there's not a huge number of people that live in this area, um, and certainly not that many gaming groups. Um, but yeah, no, I mean it's uh, it was good. It was good. It was what uh, 16 people turned up in the end. Um, mm-hmm. uh, we had one guy had to pull out because of COVID, as is this overhanging thing. Um, if you live in the UK, they've been talking about COVID being a, a big issue. Obviously, some countries have gone back into lockdown um, issues there. Um, so we'll see how that all pans out in the end, I guess, to see where that all kind of leads to. Uh, but yeah, so um, so Redka uh, was great. It was great. Uh, I got to go to the uh, gaming figure store for the first time. Uh, Gavin there, uh, lovely bloke, by the way, uh, Gav. Mm-hmm. Um, his store isn't big, you know, I'm not going to sit here and make his store sound amazing it really isn't that large he probably has i want to say it is full though it is oh, full no, of stuff so full. like um the place the place is just floor to wall of 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 stock and 
you know, like almost like storage in that, yeah. like, not it's not like a store where, you know, they, they've got a bit of stock out and it's all spread out and they're trying to like get you, you know, what I mean, to peruse and, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying it's like piled up or anything, but like, you know, like stores that are set up like, like a, you know, like a shop, shall we say. You know I mean, like gaming figures is, is really like a gamer's store like haven or what do you know what I mean like it's just yeah. literally like it's just full of things that you want and they're all just like packed onto the shelves and everywhere you look there's something you're like oh I, oh I'm quite interested in that game or oh wow or you're like oh my god look how much like how much song stuff you have like you got all this stuff that like people people don't even can't get anywhere like and uh but uh yeah it's 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 really awesome that that um they are like I say one of the bigger suppliers and players in terms of like uk a song of ice and fire he orders a lot of stuff and provides a lot of uh the retail online stuff to all around the uk loads of people buy from him because mm-hmm. uh it's great great short store to support and uh, and he supports events runs events and uh, and that that's what people want to do and that's why uh why people want to support his store you know, and he, and he does really enjoy the game as well. Um, mm-hmm. I have a feeling, I'm not, I'm right in saying this, but Gavin does actually play, um, but he doesn't play that often. Uh, mm-hmm. He does play other stuff as well as you'd expect. Um, but yeah, no, he's a lovely bloke and the store is, is you know, a, a fine space, but they've actually got space upstairs, which they'll be using, where they can have actual events and stuff, um, where they've got more space, more table room, the usual kind of things you'd expect. Um so uh yeah i mean we're just talking about red at this moment isn't it yeah. talk about your town <laughs> welcome to tawny round where we talk about random towns in the uk um so uh i guess the the most important thing or the next thing to mention um is the event itself uh if anyone is interested i'll give these guys a shout out now and i'll probably do it later on anyway um the whole event was streamed uh Eight and a half hours worth of streaming. Uh, there's bits, obviously, where there's not much going on um, between games. But eight and a half hours streaming of the top table. And because Carlo is an absolute troll, uh, he ended up on table one at, for game one. And then won every game, so he just stayed on. Uh, so if you want to watch Targs beating different players and different lists, then watch the stream. <laughs> Yeah, if you want to watch me play Drogo for eight hours straight, then uh, there's nowhere better to look. Like, you know, like a, an absolute masterclass in uh, some really... I do think that actually it's probably a really, really good stream. I haven't had time to look back on it. But, like, there were a lot of close games. You know, there was a lot of games where I really did think I was going to lose. Um, you know, like, I mean, forget, forget like, how how good you know we can all say like oh that person was a brilliant player that person's a brilliant player whatever every one of my games i felt quite pushed um you know every game there was a point where i was like oh my i might not win this mm-hmm. um which obviously you know like normally <laughs> normally my natural assumption is i'm going to win the game uh, and uh, and there's only a few games and a few moments where i'm like oh my god i might not win um and it happened to me a lot of times uh even my game against dan one of my regular opponents who i would normally beat like every single week at the club i'm not saying you know he does beat me time from time to time but like i would think that on a tournament day like i'd be like right he's definitely gonna beat dan that was close pushed me 
much harder than he has uh, for quite a while. Uh, so that was a really, really good, interesting game. And uh, and yeah, there was a lot of close ones. Really glad that I got to play uh, Psycho Steve, um, who, uh, who played quite a few times the, um, in the past. And uh, really brilliant games. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it was really good. Um, you played uh, Alan, right, to start off with, obviously, a game on screen there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Targ Mirror, then you played Steve. No. Then you played. Um, and then I played Dan. Dan in a start versus Targ. Then Steve yeah. start versus Targ, and then myself. Yeah. Free folk Targ. Um, yeah, yeah, no, there was a lot, a lot to talk about there, um, and obviously, uh, the whole day was great. Um, I got Brian, which was lovely. It's the first time I played against Brian um, in the Free Folk Mirror. Uh, it's my first game. Um, I always ask, you know, how on earth do you manage to do all this stuff for games? How on earth do you do all these recaps and stuff? And I am surprised at how efficient he is at just taking photos and just, like, getting on with the game and just going boom, dun, boom, dun, boom, dun, mm-hmm. um, in that sense. Um, but, yeah, Free Folk Mirrors, man. Free Folk Mirrors. Uh, they're just truly sadness on Game of Thrones because you're like, how do we win this game? Now we sit on objectives. Brilliant. <laughs> um, so, yeah. That was uh, that was a thing. Um, yeah, and then uh, what did I play? I played against uh, I played against a guy from Leeds um, who'd come up for the event, uh, Paul, um, who was a lovely bloke, um, Paul Whitehead, and uh, played against his Lannisters, and he learned quite interestingly why Lannisters aren't very good at the moment. <laughs> um, Knights of Castle Rock. Uh, you know, he, he self-admitted it. He said, like, the, the amount of control and things that Lannisters do at the moment just isn't good compared mm-hmm. to other factions. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just not there. Um, but he, he sounded like he was enjoying it. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I really... I, re- I think he did... Yeah, he came, like, just uh, just under mid-table there with his Lannisters, two wins, two losses, which is respectable, you know? Um, yeah, absolutely. Nothing wrong with a, with a two-win, two. Um, nothing wrong with that at all. Uh... Then I played against uh, Daryl, who I played prior um, in Dark Wings, Dark Words. And if Daryl is watching or watching this back, I will say, Daryl, when you play secret mission, objective, deck, game modes, whatever you want to call them, read the secret missions. Um, mm. You know, uh, people and Daryl hates them. And I know a lot of other people have a lot against them. Uh, I don't know what you found, Carlo, in your game, but. Oh, that was against uh, would have been against Stee, right? Um, uh huh. Yeah. There's a there's a lot of backlash for secret missions still, um, because it adds. Uh, someone was saying like adds complexity to the game. Um, it adds an element of like extra bookkeeping, and I can see mm-hmm. to see some extent. You know, the extra bookkeeping, which missions are in play, which ones aren't. Sometimes if you've you've got all four out at one time, you get confused about which piles which and things like this. Um, and it is a thing that you sometimes just forget to read and check up on. I can understand that. I I quite like them. I don't uh, know. I, I had a brilliant, brilliant game against Steve. It was actually one of my favorite games. Mm-hmm. Um, probably my actual favorite game of of the tournament. And it was Dark Winds, Dark Words. I think. I mean, Steve Steve played the missions really, really well. In that, I felt that I I I like took the game from him very early. He utilized the missions to just keep scoring points, keep the game close, keep himself in contention the entire way through. Um, and I, you know, it was 
scoreline wise, it was by far my closest result. Um, the battle felt like I took it early, and I was never, I was never close to getting tabled, and like I was always sort of threatening to table him. But uh, you know, other results like against Dan, like I did actually table Dan, but Dan was an incredibly close game. It could easily have basically gone the other way, and I could have been tabled. I felt like at times. But the um, the secret missions meant that a much more interesting dynamic. It was much less just like, hey, I'll go out here and win the fight and then I'll win the game. Yeah. Because because Steve always had alternate routes to victory and he always had other things he could do. And it gave a really interesting dynamic to his fully Brendan Tully, Tully Cav uh, Outrider list, a fully Cav-based dark list, 100% Cav has a lot of ways to you know score points it has a it has a lot more flexibility than like you know uh, an infantry spam list mm-hmm. and i think that that's really important and interesting that it also helps another dynamic to to, to give value to certain types of lists um so yeah I, th- I think that is brilliant i do personally think that there should be secret missions utilized in tournaments um i i like them uh and 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 i thought it was a brilliant game yeah, definitely. I, I like the dynamic they had, although they are annoying, and I get that uh, people, certain people don't like to think about them, certain people don't like to play around them. Um, but I agree. I mean, I I like secret mission game modes. Um, Terra says Terra seems to say that they take too long. Um, I actually think that Dark Wings, Dark Words definitely doesn't. Myself, I think Dark Wings, Dark Words is an incredibly fast scoring mode. You score for kills. You score for objectives on the board and you score for the objective missions like it's basically in a way it's like you're playing um you're effectively playing like dance with dragons combined with extra extra scoring options on top yeah right or you're playing clash but it's not your commander that scores it's like a variable thing that scores i don't see how people can think that dark wings is a slow game mode. Personally, I really don't think it is. I think it's one of the fastest game modes. Um, if you're playing it slow, it's because you've literally never read the mission cards before, and you're like taking too long to understand them. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I guess, well, you know, read the mission cards, guys. Yeah. Well, I get- Winds of Winter, I do have a slight, like, yes, I think the way that people, like, they need quite a high level of knowledge about the secret missions in Winds of Winter to play them quickly because the whole segment where you draft the mission, the whole segment where you then play the mission at the start of each round, it effectively adds a whole like extra pre-phase to the game. It adds a pre-phase to every turn, well, every round. Pre-phase to the game, it adds a pre-phase to the round. So I see how that slows the game down. Um, plus, you've got these five objectives, but you don't actually score them in Winds of Winter. So, yes, I agree that Winds of Winter can be quite a slow mode. Um, but Dark Wings Dark I think, is absolutely tournament viable. I think it's as fast as anything else. The, the, the big thing for me with Winds of Winter is the, um, the nature of how competitive the missions and the mission selection becomes in Winds of Winter. Um, and what, what I mean by that is the subtleties of things like actually going up early in winds of winter can be the easiest way to lose the game which mm-hmm. seems like really counterintuitive um but you don't necessarily want to go up early by scoring a mission and things like this and 
it's um yeah it's difficult it is difficult um in terms of managing that with wins and i do i do i do have a bit of a problem with wins um and yeah aaron says there was only one game that went to time on dark wings dark words believe uh, he believes yeah um and i know my first game so game of thrones went to time for me i'm it's a free vote mirror it's nearly always going to go to time um but uh it's yeah. quite interesting as uh you know like as a side discussion that mm-hmm. you know terra is basically saying um it's not so much that the game will go to time, but that if you're less experienced with the secret missions, then he feels like there's too much time pressure, shall we call it. He doesn't call it time pressure, but he basically says that players will make mistakes. Um, and it, it's an interesting concept. I'm not saying I'm right, but my viewpoint is is that's part of knowing the game, right? Like, that there has to be ways and ways for one player to prove that they're better at the game, right? And if being better at the game is not making mistakes, we can we can make mistakes in any number of ways. I could not think about one of your tactics cards and fall into a trigger, and it could be absolutely game-breaking for me. Do you know what I mean? Like, uh, you know, think that there are cards that I think about constantly as a very experienced player, and a less experienced player won't. You know, I'm maybe constantly thinking about diversion tactics, like, and I know the trigger of diversion tactics off by heart. I know that it's melee attack only. So I know that if I could take a ranged attack or a melee attack, well, I'm better off taking the ranged if I'm scared of what diversion tactics will do. And all these things. Now, I see people sometimes sit on TTS and they will literally take forever. Like, you know, and this is how we end up with the TTS games that possibly take four hours because they're literally like looking through other people's cards. They're like learning all these things as they go. And it's become this accepted thing that like people can take as long as they possibly want. And um and and I think that there is needs to be an element of time pressure. I think it's actually really becoming uh, something of a larger discussion point, or like a larger part of my thinking. Like I am starting to wonder whether or not chess clocks are important. This is why I've been thinking about it a lot recently, because I think that there is a huge value to putting people under time pressure. Because if you give people as long as they possibly want, say we, we could just play the game forever, like, and it was a really important game, then why wouldn't a person sit and think about every decision for a very, very long time? Like, let's just say there isn't a time limit on the game, but we were playing for like something important. We ten, both ten grand. Sorry, let's make it ten grand. You win, you win 10 grand. Yeah, we make can make it, it money, but you're, you know, yeah. we can make it like Doesn't the matter. biggest game. You know, it's just the world championships. You don't win anything except the kudos of you will be the world champion. This game is literally going to take place over 10 hours. There's a whole day just to play this game. Every single decision we make, we are going to sit and think about it for like 10 minutes, right? Mm-hmm. But does that make one of us a better player than the other? Personally, I think that there's a huge value to like us actually being having to make decisions quickly, and then we find out really who the better player is because we see who makes the least mistakes when under pressure. Um, but I think that it's a very fine line, and I don't, I, I, I don't think that the game or the community or anything ready for chess clocks yet or ever will be. You know, that's a big question about whether or not the game has the right. Has the right rule set to allow for chess clocks um mm-hmm. but i i am i am big on the idea that when people are under pressure that's when that that that's when you find out whether or not their instincts are right or whether or not 
or how deeply they know the game. Or more to the point that when that pressure is present, you'll find out, you create a new point at which people can differentiate themselves, right? Yeah. Um, when people have as much time as they possibly want, when they can do whatever they want, um, it takes a certain like aspect of ability out of the game and you kind of reduce the number of ways that one person can be better than another. And so yeah. we start to fall back on this idea of like, well, lists become even more important and, and player skill becomes less important. Faction matchup, the list matchup becomes more and more important if you're not going to test the player's ability yeah. in as many ways as possible. And what I think is great about Song is, while you know, Song of Western Fire Stats is entirely set up to measure things about list ability, unit ability, faction ability, the game is still decided on the table by player ability. And I think that the more that you can push that side of the game and the less it can be about actual list, the better, which is why balance is better. A place where somebody doesn't auto lose because of the matchup is the best possible place we can be. Yeah. No, I mean, I'm in agreement there. Um, I, I do think chess clocks will add. My, my issue with chess clocks has never been what they add or versus why, why you would want them or anything like that. Um, that was never really ever the issue uh, with chess clocks. Um, but the bigger issue of chess clocks being what do they actually, like how the management of it in song really works. And it is difficult. Yeah, I, I think the management of the chess clock is the important part. Yeah. Um, and the difficult part. Like, yeah. you know, I, I think that's the thing that really has to be... Discussed, you know, agreed, or whatever. Thoughted, like, solved problem that has to be solved before they can ever like have any kind of widespread adoption um and i i think that's possibly an issue that never does get solved but uh you know i think that is a very interesting idea and i'm not against them entire in their entirety that's just, by the way is like I, i've basically never played a game under chess clock I've, i'm not coming from another game system like say like war machine or mm -hmm. that where it was more common um or well, i've played some blood bowl and I, and and Okay, that's actually the interesting perspective, which is I think that Blood Bowl has to have the clock, right? Like it's so important yeah. to the to the way you think about Blood Bowl. Blood Bowl is like, hey, come up with a plan and just do it like as fast as you can, because you're not just under like a reasonable chess clock, you're actually under like a ridiculous when done properly, you have like three minutes to play an entire turn. Right? It's one um, uh, most most blood bowl is only one. They only play one minute turn sometimes. And that's I literally it. Yeah. No, but and not. There's, okay. there's three. There's three minute. There's one minute as well, which they play. Um, okay. Which I think is one minute must play differently because the three minutes includes dice rolling. It includes yeah. interaction yeah, yeah, yeah. with both players. It includes everything. But I actually don't know how you could possibly achieve like the mechanical part of the game, which I think is an interesting uh, discussion in that like lots of people's issues, um, uh, like around what its implementation in song is, is the mechanical issues around like, I roll, you roll, you know, I attack, you take a panic, you know, you take armor saves, you take panic tests, like whose clock is the rolling, you know, I, I say I start my turn and then I'm start, I do things quickly because, you know, I'm under a clock and then you're suddenly like, oh, I want to, I want to do a start turn trigger, you know, like, so effectively it's that back and forth part, but like, you know, the ball has this single clock for the entire round. When it's up, your turn is done. Um, 
the game works differently, but there are aspects of back and forth in that three minutes. I do think that, like, yeah, the the the, the tournament community, as Kelly says, maybe isn't um it, it isn't ready for it or isn't doesn't need it. I don't. I don't think it is required. Myself, um, for games, um, you know, the the time pressure is there, and uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, it's uh, it is a difficult one. Uh, Grant there with his comment about doesn't want to talk Blood Bowl with me. Yes, the last time I played against Grant again in Blood Bowl, my mummies absolutely smashed the face in of everything that he had on the pitch. I don't even think I won. I think I lost. I killed everything, so it was fun. Um, anyway, uh, I do. Oh God, I do love Blood Bowl. Blood Bowl is a stupid game. I would, for what it's worth, I would never play Blood Bowl competitively. Not because of the chess clocks and things, but the, the game itself, right, and all the mechanics. But I never play it competitively. But I do see the value in the chess clocks and the the decision making tree that it creates. And if you actually watch professional Blood Bowl pay, players, the way they manage their time is often the very first minute of their turn, they basically do nothing. Or like a really super yeah. safe thing that they knew that they were going to do anyway, like just a basic like three, like stand, three like stand up players. They basically stand, like up, stand players. up their players, yeah, their prones, that kind of stuff. Yeah, but yeah. I think I think I think that the bowl chess clock is part of what creates the game's identity. Like even if you play at a casual level, I I would say you should play with the chess clock in Blood Bowl. Like whether you think the game's serious or not serious. It creates a frantic pace, and the idea is, yes, okay, if you're learning the game, like, learning the rules, sure, you know what I mean? Like, take as long as you need, ask questions, do whatever. But, like, if you're anywhere close to understanding how the game plays, um, you, you should you should start with a chess clock and then bring the time down. Like, start with a really generous amount of time. The actual concept that you're under pressure and you've got to make a snap decision is so interwoven into the way that Blood Bowl plays because you could sit and calculate like your best routes for ages if you wanted. And I do think that there's an element of that with Song. It's not quite the same element. I think that the best play is much more obvious, or at least is to me as a very experienced player. It's not about calculating which one's the best or calculating like my chances that it might succeed. There is a huge value, though, to taking forever with your positioning, right? Like, like really, like, looking at something and then measuring your arcs and then, like, looking again and then measuring your distances between units and then measuring again and twisting. Do you know what I mean? Like, you can spend forever on movement and it can always be better. I think that if you can pressure people into taking, like, a gut feel and then making them stick to it, you know, wherever they've said, like, right, my turn's done, and then don't allow them to be like, oh, no, wait, no, I didn't. I mean, I meant, I meant I wanted to be able to see this unit, right? Or something like that. Like, if, if you're done, you're done. That's really important. Um, There's also, then... on that on that topic, though, like, when you're done, you're done. Like, the uh, going back to song, um, the, uh, the, the, the interesting thing that I was thinking about myself was uh, actually games against yourself, Carlo, and the games where I typically tend to win are the games where I don't, actually sit at the table and actually game against you if you know what i mean if i mm -hmm. detach myself from the game and just play what i think are good moves um i typically tend to win but it's when i sit down and have to do the long analysis and the hard thinking where it's like well hang on 
I you can actually catch yourself into a position where you overthink a particular problem. I think that is very common in song as well. Um, especially when when you're doing all these kind of umming and ah decisions, it's just like just do what you thought was right at the time. Because if you were actually a good player, that was probably right. Like you know, because the the big issue when uh, we talk about comfort zones and things at the like competitive le level as well is you know how you play. I was talking to um, to Aaron about this uh, at the event, and it's like because he asked us a question right about whether we wanted something recorded and we if we cared about them chatting about the games in the background mm -hmm. and recording and the impact that had if we'd miss anything. And uh, I said something that sounded really bad when I first said it, but it isn't. And it's, uh, I'll be honest, most of the time, if someone's watching a game and commentating on a game and things like that, I don't care what they say. And specifically, I am not interested in any lines of play that they come up with. Not because they're not good. They could actually be better than my line. But I don't care about their line because it's not a line that I'm thinking about and that I'm seeing, that I'm looking to play out in terms of my overall strategy or game plan. Um, does that mean that in each individual moment I could be making better plays? Yes. But the problem is if you don't understand the impact of that better play, then there's very little benefit in making it, right? And this is when you when you teach people the game and when you teach people like how to get better and things like that. It's like, yes, there's a better play, but just because there is one doesn't mean that you understand the impact of that. So it's taking it to step beyond and go, right, okay, but why is this a better play? What purpose does this have in the grand scheme of things? Um, and sometimes it's not about grand scheme of things. It's actually right now on the board, this is objectively just the best thing I can do. Um, and there's a good trade-off there. And movement and things going back to it is an interesting one there. And time pressure, going back to it, makes those snap decisions a much more interesting. Because... Yeah. You cannot just sit here and think about the possible repercussions of everything going on, like you were saying. Um, yeah, I find I find that players who take an incredibly long time, generally, I, I feel what they have is they have an idea that they want to do. They have a turn that they want to play. And then what they do is they start thinking about every possible thing that might go wrong, start thinking about every single possible trigger that might happen. And then they get caught in this moment where they're just like, oh my God, like they're so paralyzed by all the things that could go wrong in their turn. But there was nothing wrong with their original play. Like, and they should have, they should just make it. Like, yes, there are times that you overlook something and like it really does, you know, it can, it can absolutely fuck you over. Like, you know, if you didn't think about a certain card, it can be, can be game changing. But for most, like part of the skill, I think is understanding the faction or the commander or whatever you're playing against just keeping in your mind like there are just like two three key like one or two actually mostly like really by the time we get into three it's not that important there's one or two important pieces of like trigger or rules or something that you need to keep in your mind right like you're just thinking i'm just thinking about watcher on the wall right like i'm just thinking will watcher completely destroy me or do you know what i mean like say i was playing brendan i was just like what will sentinel do Right, like Sentinel is important. I need to know what Sentinel. All I'm thinking about the entire game, I'm just like, and this does Sentinel matter? No, cool. Go ahead. That was my gut feel. It still works. Sentinel isn't going to screw me over. Let's let let let's go on with it. If I think Sentinel and this card and Winter is coming and devastating impact, I'm like, oh my god! Like you're just going to get into like, like 
you're just creating the perfect hand that your opponent could possibly have to exploit you, and you'll be you'll become paralyzed by mm-hmm. by by what they might have. Yeah. And uh, and so I think that's that, that's what I think when or at least that the times when I've been incredibly slow, it's because I've managed to get myself paralyzed by this idea of what might happen. Whereas nearly always, my first my first instinct was right. You know, just 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 go with go with your gut feel. Very rarely is the the second, third, and fourth thing that I thought about the thing that I go with, or even the thing that would have been the better choice. No, I agree. Um, and it's little, and it ends up being like little things that if you end up in the the the, the cycle of thinking, it's actually a little thing that you end up missing in the execution of the plan that you end up implementing in the end anyway, um, because you've been so many like. And Carlo explained this to me very well one time. But you end up thinking about shit that just doesn't matter, and the moment you start thinking about shit that just doesn't matter, is the moment you're probably just going to lose the game. Um, because it's not it's just not helpful um and uh yeah i mean in our game carla there's there's an absolutely fucking perfect moment in our game where that happens and it's really telling um and the moment is is it's really dumb i won't go into what it is now but like i look back at it earlier today i thought about it as well uh today as well and i was thinking yeah, no, that. I don't thing know when it I was. Hmm? I don't know when it was. <laughs> I know what it was. It was the set. It was the feeding, feeding the veterans in the way that I did. Um, right. Yeah. Specifically, yeah. the placement of my trappers uh, was. I was about an inch out from Sentinel, and then it moves up Harmer, and I can make the exact play that I opened round three with, but I can do it all on round two, um, okay. which is a completely different kettle of fish. Um, so yeah. Anyway. Um, yeah, no, uh, chess clocks, not required, probably too difficult to manage, but I do think it's something that, I, I personally believe it's something that should be contemplated, um, there's probably ways you can do it, uh, there's probably ways you can do it, but I think it goes back to actually. I think, I think that it, I think that is very. I, I do actually personally think, without having done it, I think that there are very, relatively clear implementations of chess clocks. I think that they're not that difficult to use. Um, the I do the think whether or not you're too distracting to the players because of the requirement to press the button, right? That you need to think about it, but effectively you have to basically, you have to become used to using a chess clock. You have to be used to, um, you know, like just as you make a decision, you click the clock, right? Like as you end your turn, you click the clock as you, and so I do think that there are pretty clear, easy lines. People are like, oh, what about XYZ trigger or something like that? It's basically just like, I play my turn, I say, okay, I'm going to activate. And then you say, oh, I want to do a start turn trigger. And if, you know, I'm like, okay, play the card. You know, you either put it on the table right away. Or if you ever say, oh, wait a second, I might, I'm just button, right? You say, oh, just wait. Like, I might, well, I'm like, okay, your turn then. Do you know what I mean? Like, and that's all it takes. Like, if, you want to think about if you want to play counterplot? Cool. Well, I'm just going to press the button. It's not 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 my problem anymore. You want to think? You want to think at the start of the round about whether or not you're going to play a start of the round trigger for like two minutes or something? Well, I'm going to press the clock. You know? Yeah. 
And then also, like, as long as people are aware of it, there are also times where, like, it's like, you know, it's, it's your turn, right? Like, as in, sometimes I think that people, I've actually had situations with people where I'm like, I'm waiting for you to do something. And they're like, what? I'm waiting for you to do something. I'm like, I was about to play a card and you said, wait. So I literally sat and waited. <laughs> do you know what I mean? And I'll sit. And, and personally, when someone says wait to me, I literally, I, I'll just say, okay. And I'll just wait. And like, I'm not going to do anything until you tell me to not wait anymore. <laughs> and for some people, they're like so confused by that. Like, you know, like it's my turn. I'm like, uh, I'm going to, do you want to, do you want to do something? And they're like, oh, wait a second. And they like look at their hand and then I'll just sit and wait. And I'm like, but you know, I don't know what you're thinking about. I don't know what you need help with. I'm not the kind of player who's like, oh, are you thinking about X, Y, Z? Or, do you know I mean, I don't, I, I don't discuss with people what they're doing. I, uh, some people like to like, I know you, Mickey, Mickey does it all the time. And I actually really, I, I, I find it quite annoying when he does it to other people, not just to myself. Um, proposes what thinks that the other person is thinking about he's like oh are you thinking about playing so-and-so and but like that, that i never do like do you know what i mean like if some if somebody says they're gonna do something i'm like okay that's just you know, i'll just stay silent i don't you know me me talking to you isn't gonna make the decision any quicker in fact it's gonna make it slower so uh yeah like uh, I, I think that the chess clock makes that super, super clear. You know, like I click the clock. I'm like, okay, we're on your time. Go, go for as long as you want. But I do think that there are a lot of opportunities for missing the clock click. Do you know what I mean? Like in terms of like, you say, okay, wait, I, I click it over to you. And then we play the entire rest of my turn on under your clock particularly if one person's experienced with it and the other person's not. So, you know, I, I think I think the community's not, not community's not there yet. Um, I'll tell you an experience you, you wouldn't have seen this uh, in the game I had against Daryl. And this is where the problem lies with Song a little bit more so than perhaps other games. Um, it's... It's Daryl's turn. It's Daryl's turn. No, it's my turn. I make an attack into Relore Faithful. The Relore Faithful die. That triggers Relore Lightbringers. Or no, I think it's like the Lightbringers shoot into me. Um, mm. And that triggers a panic test on the Faithful, which they fail. And that kills them. That failed panic test then triggers the Relore Lightbringers to shoot me again. But I use Sentinel on the initial shot. But the destruction of the Relore Lightbringer, uh, the, the faithful is first meaning that the lightbringers get a second shot before sentinel resolves and then still on daryl's turn i charge him with sentinel i resolve my attack and all of that happens within one turn if you will under daryl's yeah. situation and that's including then spread panics from the law faithful onto my units and decisions about where they go that was one turn, and I think between yeah. the spread, fa the the panic fails and things being spread around and everything, three units got killed, <laughs> yeah. and one of them got half killed because his lightbringers lost half their ranks. Um, I lost two units, and his faithful died. Um, it was a complete fucking mess. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, I, I, and I do think that yeah, and that and, and those where... situations feel like they can be difficult to navigate, but yeah. I just think that whoever's currently you know, like, Active. moving 
active. Yeah, whoever's active, like both players, both players can't be active in this game at the same time, right? Like you can't both be active. So you can be thinking and you should always be thinking so that when it comes to your active turn, you that's not when you begin your thought process. Like you should be thinking while it's your opponent's active time as they're maneuvering, you're thinking, I exploit that Oh, which way is he going to face? And then like once he finishes, you know, and you're like, are you done? Now's the point where you're like, yes, I can exploit or no, I can't exploit or, you know, I, that's going to. You should already be thinking like as they face certain ways, like whether or not they activate X, Y, Z. I'm going to activate another thing in return. But um, but yeah, there are a lot of like unknowns in that. You can't always just be like ready to play, ready to play because you don't know exactly what they're going to do. You haven't thought like, especially if they catch you off guard with something. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I do think, I, I think that a clock will manage that whole situation fine and it'll, yeah. you know, add, uh, add, I don't think it'll detract from any of that game, you know, uh, or that that big turn. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, and, you know, talk about, like, uh, an example of a time where, you know, it's a decision, but, like, it's... When you learn a matchup, when you learn a matchup, when you learn certain things at, like, the higher levels, and there's a whole counter and counter-counter to this. But even something, things... Um, one of the things that kind of happened in our game on Friday um, was learning, right, well, hang on. My opponent has a trigger at this, and I have a counter trigger to the same timing. But I'm not going to use my timing on my trigger unless he uses his trigger because of the way that they resolve. So um, something simple like Jora using his scout openings order. Um, mm -hmm. If you're playing, uh, you know, we play the, the Drogo versus Mance list a lot. Um, Mance, straight away, it's like, well, hang on, I've got predictable maneuvers in hand. I know you're going to do something with either an assault orders play uh, from an NCU you've got available, or you're going to do something with, say, Vets or Drogo, typically. I can predictable maneuvers. I can target the unit where I think that that's going to be most applicable. Usually it's only one choice. Mm -hmm. And it immediately goes, well, hang on. I've used a resource. You've used a resource. In the now, the thinking is go back to you. If you don't do it, I'm not going to play it. If you do it, I snap play it. Like, it's it's that that kind of thing is very important. But that's, again, something you only experience once you know a matchup very well and the card triggers, yeah, ultimately yeah. the card triggers. Yeah, I do. I do think that it ultimately, like the speed at which you can expect people to play at, ultimately comes down to how experienced they are, um, and 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 how well they know every single part of you know not every single part of the game. And I don't just mean the game. I'm sorry, I'm talking about how well you know the game mode. You know, what I mean, I know that I've been a lot slower recently to set the game up because I'm not like I, the documents aren't even right. Right, like I pull up war counts and I'm like, that's not right. I know that that's the old documents. Do you know what I mean? So like that. That really slows things down when I don't know the mode off by heart. I don't know all the rules off by heart. Um, you know, like Dan's start cards have changed when like you'll play a card and then we both have to go and look up what the card actually does because he hasn't got a printout in there, you know, so we both have to say, well, like, what does that card do now? Do you know what I mean? Because it's changed. So like it's not just like, hey, if you're experienced, like it's fine, right? Like there's always we're talking about the very specifics of like this game mode that you know well with an army that you know well playing against an army that you know well like things can go really really fast once you're like at that level of play but like there can always be things that slow you down and it's interesting that people basically people don't want to be hindered people don't want to feel hindered by the fact that they don't know their opponent's army but at the same time a person who does know everything about the game 
feel like maybe they, they they should be given value for that right like they should that that, that you are experienced and uh you know well researched shall we call it player who like knows everything about your opponent's lists that 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 should be a benefit to you um was and uh and, and i think that like i say i think that time pressure gives value to that benefit there, there was a question you know before about whether or yes. not like um well i don't know which question you're looking at but whether or not actually i think that time is a problem in tournament games yeah. i would say that my my games generally don't go to time like not not like specifically but so for me personally what i feel is is that um effectively like there can uh, personally i never ever give up on a game or at least i try not to right like even if i'm if if i'm losing um I, i'm still trying to look for ways to win the game sometimes that means that i need there to be more turns right like i need the game to go the entire length that that's that that's one of the times that i feel this pressure the most is you know i might be losing like six four right and i need was to go into a fifth and a sixth round like i need to keep your score down to eight and nine points and like the game could finish nine eight to you and round five by time as an example right um and i will lose at that point but i think that i have a chance to win the game on turn six yeah now does it actually finish on round five because of time maybe maybe not but the pressure i feel is is that i need the game to go the full length and you're taking a long time then i feel that i have to play incredibly quickly like recklessly quickly i actually can't even think about my own choices properly i can't think about my decisions properly because i have to play double speed to make sure that you keep time right yeah. and that's and, and and that's the only time when i'm like god i wish there was i wish there was a chess clock here because i feel that we've got this two hour game and i think that you're taking an hour and a half of it and i'm taking half an hour of it right or you know like less extreme be an hour and 20 and 40 minutes you know you're taking like twice as long as i am to take your turns maybe or actually in reality you know there's something around 20 minutes of dead time between us um round selection setting the game up stuff like that you've taken one hour and i've taken 40 minutes and we're going to get to time and we might not finish the sixth round whether or not it actually happens or not isn't the important that i feel that i have to play unreasonably quickly to make sure that it doesn't happen and i have to play recklessly quickly i know that if there's any kind of timing disparity between players if a player is just genuinely a very very slow player we might not even be under time pressure we might be playing for four hours but if one person is taking three of those hours and the other person is taking one of those hours and it's incredibly detrimental to the, the quicker player. Like the quicker player will become agitated by the speed at which the slower player plays. They will make faster and faster and faster snap decisions because they want the game to speed up. And they're trying to show their opponent how quickly they want them to play. If their opponent like literally just doesn't pick up on the fact that, they're, that, that they are slow playing in any given way, then it's a huge detriment to their opponent and the problem is that it's beneficial to the slow player no matter which way you look at it whether the game goes to time or not 
it's beneficial to the player playing slowly because they double, triple, quadruple think about everything. They spend ages on their positioning. They spend ages on every decision. And the fast player actually spends less and less and less times on their decisions, less times than they even, even normally would against a normal speed opponent. Um, and, and, and they also, I think, you know, just get like, you know, people effectively get somewhat like time tilted, shall we call it? Do you know what I mean? Like they, they just don't want to play the game for that length of time. I think that that's the reality of what happens on TPS. Um, there yeah. may not be real time pressure. There could actually be real time pressure in that one person's like, look, I need to go to bed. It's like, you know, it, it, it's 2 a.m. in my <laughs> country, right? Yeah. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, like I, I agreed to play this game with you. I didn't agree to play a five-hour game with you. Like, I need to go to bed. Like, and, and, and the other person's like, well, it's the middle of the day for me, so I, I don't mind. I'll just, you know, or it's the weekend. I've got nothing else to do. Tournaments are quite different. The two hours, I do think that is enough time get to the game as long as both people play with a certain speed but the problem is like i say the problem is is if one person doesn't meet the expectation and the agreement of how quickly the other one wants to play then it's very very detrimental to the quicker player yeah the um the only other thing i was going to say was obviously certain lists and certain matchups certain other things kind of they play out in different ways um and as a result i mean we've seen We've seen Night's Watch matches on TTS, for example, the Mirrors and things like this. They've gone on for three or four hours because they are, mm -hmm. to some extent, they are just like some rounds. It's like everything's just shuffled three or four inches. And it is kind of like, yeah, but if any of them shuffled that four and a half inches, then actually that player probably would have just lost um, because that, you know, and that was back then. Um there is a lot to say as well about rush play. Um, uh, one of the games I Brent against Brian, I was hemorrhaging. Uh, I never say this word properly, and I'm not going to say it. Uh, <laughs> I was taking uh, trays off his um, off his army, but I wasn't necessarily going up on VPs, right? Um, I was killing units worth points, but uh, but the way that the board was and the control and things like that, I'm not necessarily gaining a huge advantage over him. And I realised that actually. You know, specifically the last, we had like 18, 20 minutes left to go. And it was like they said, we had about that long left. And for me, it was like, well, hang on. I'm opening player. I'm playing free folk. I have the opportunity to just play endless horde and put a radio unit on the board if I want to. Because um, I've lost a unit at this point. I can just bring on a radio unit and just throw him up the board over here and probably kill, uh, wipe out a unit of my opponent push him off the board on that objective and i maybe get a minor uh, a standard victory over a crushing uh, over a minor sorry because the game was close but the problem was i was like but hang on that doesn't necessarily pay off for me this round that might take me an extra round to do if this game goes to round six i 100 percent of the case outside of crazy dice rolls i'm in a much better position i've got more units on the board he's played both of his endless swords I'm going to win this game. I have the resources. Mm -hmm. That way, you know, nothing against Brian at all. In that, in that sense, you know, he wasn't slow playing or anything like that. It's just it's the nature of the matchup. Um, but vice versa, the game was never going to go to round six at that rate. So it was much better for me to play for a quick smash, smash and grab, because actually that works out better for me in the short term. Um, 
there's things like that that do happen in tournaments and we've seen it i've literally seen it happen in events uh, as well where people are like right well we're nearing the time thing i'm gonna make quite a reckless play but the reckless play solidifies a win for me mm-hmm. rather than actually makes it a crushing win or something like that um so yeah it's um i don't have a problem with time i've never really had an issue with it um but it is a thing that obviously that plays into the game and is important um on topics from chat uh, i'm gonna go actually read other questions that we have had and this one was a while ago uh, that was a long time we spent a long time talking about time uh, mm. uh this is from uh carly what was the toughest decisions in the tournament for yourself and myself i know one tough decision i had which was the end of sword one i just discussed there that was a tough decision because i had the opportunity to go right well i'm going to win the game if i do this i win the game if i just activate some thens and kill off torment commander with um my order but i don't objectively know which one is going to be better for me in the short term versus the long term and if the game's going to go long term uh, aside from that decisions in carlo's games um or in carlo's game uh i made a poor decision a bad decision on a predictable movers on round one um which i did think was the right play to make at the time but probably wasn't um but yeah so carlo um definitely definitely the single hardest choice was um in the game against dan against starks uh I had Drogo stuck in on very low wounds. He was engaged by um, the unit of Swan Swords in the front and Eddard's Honor Guard in the flank. Um, and then I had some very low health veterans. I think, you know, I might have healed them up a bit by now, but, you know, they're like I, basically my two hard hitting units, they're like, they were in, they were both in trouble. They were both quite isolated. They were both in a bad place. And at, but, but I was opening round three, right? Like, so this wasn't where I thought I was going to be. I thought I was going to be pushing through and really, um, you know, like this This was going to be the point where I took the game. Um, I, I'm nearly always playing for, like, if I'm first on round one, I'm playing for a huge play at the start of round three to, like, really take the game. Um, or if I'm playing on turn two, then if it turns up on turn two, then yeah, sure. But basically, I'm playing for turn four. Right, like I'm turning, like playing to like minimize my loss on turn three to move to a powerful turn. But here we were on my powerful play, and I only had risks. Like I only, I had nothing good. I would hope uh, the Swan Swords in front of me, they they could possibly be killed by a Swords attack by Drogo, but that doesn't get me out of combat with Eddard. And I was also, um, I was also very very scared at the time of. Um, Fury for the Fallen. So in the end, the decision I made was to activate Drogo and play Ride by Attack get out of combat. Uh, even though it didn't even kill the Swan Swords on three wounds in front of me. Um, but just this decision about whether or not to open with swords, which is like basically a play I had planned for since literal deployment. Like my entire game had been set up that like I will kill something with Drogo at the start of round three. And the way things had played out, it just wasn't going to happen for me. Like, it, it wasn't there. And it was a very hard decision to abandon what felt like it had been my entire game strategy. Um, yeah. I mean, 
whether or not it's the right choice, I don't know. Like, I still don't know. Actually, you know, uh, Dan responded with uh, a swords assault orders because I left the tightly sport open. Of course, I activated first instead of taking an MCU first. Went against all of you know my own gut feel, like of good play, uh, but I did it anyway because I had the card and I thought it might save me. Um, it did force him to play assault orders which is an important card, so I effectively drew that out. Uh, it would have been a risk to attack with Drogo to hopefully kill the unit, and he might have died anyway. But basically, yeah, I definitely feel like that was the hardest choice I made uh, at the start of round three against Dan. Um, and uh, I yep. guess I won the game in the end. I guess I, I, guess I won. But yep. it, wasn't, uh, it wasn't a decision I was happy with at the time. I felt like I only had bad choices. I think when you're having to make really hard choices, it's because you have bad choices. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. Um. All right. So, um, I've just distracted Carlo for a moment. More on that yeah. in like two seconds. Um. Yeah. So, um, decisions. There are always difficult ones, right? Every game has probably a moment of a difficult decision. Most games. Mm -hmm. But the level of that difficulty, it's like, sometimes it's like the difficult decision is not that impactful. And I don't mean that in a negative sense. Like, it's a case of, oh, how do I do this versus how do I do that? Versus how do I turn this situation into a winning one? Um, That's a much harder decision to come to. And there are times, you know, certainly in the game against Carlo, where there's key decisions that I perhaps made mistakes with. But there are decisions later on where I'm, I'm like, I'm so deep in a hole of like, this is a bad position. Every decision I now make has to be good because if I make a bad decision again, I'm further in the hole. I have to make impactful, difficult decisions for my opponent to try and manage. And sometimes, you know, you're actually in a position and, you know, and players know this, you know, Carlo's very aware of this. Sometimes it actually isn't a good decision you can make anymore. It's just the best out of a terrible lot of decisions. Yeah, um, interestingly, I would say that like once your decisions become like really terrible, they become easy again because yeah. like the, the, there's only one like realistic one, or or basically you're like, well, they're all terrible, <laughs> so this one could go amazingly. Like it, it's it's very unlikely, but you know what? That, like I lose unless I make this six up charge. So you know what? Let's just go for the six up charge, right? Yep. Like you're losing, but like there's one clear route of terrible choices to get you back into the game, right? <laughs> but it's when you have a lot of choices, or more to the point, like you've got this this thing that you think would have been the best choice, and then now everything's making you want to go against it. You had a plan. I find the hardest choices for me are where I have. I have these set routines, you know, like I open the round with swords is so common, do you know what I mean? Like setting on my big attack, setting on my big plays. And then if if I have to deviate from that, that's the hard choice. The hard choice is like making plays that deviate from what I consider to be good play. Uh, I always remember that that dragon game where you were, I was up on VPs and you were trying to table me. And you could have tabled me, <laughs> to be brutally honest. And uh, the decision of the game, which came down to, um, I made a, like, a retreat out to try and just get into a charge position. And you attacked Tormund. And I was like, I have to roll a six here 
or like a five to charge you and i have to do seven wounds to a dragon in the rear with an attack that does seven dice of attacks and if i don't you win and if i do i win and i went in and i did the seven wounds and it was like you, you, what'd you do I mean, <laughs> like <laughs> that's that's not a decision that really was like ah oh, i'm clever and i'm super intelligent it was one of these kind of like well fucking great <laughs> um but yeah it's uh yeah yeah anyway um let's change the scenery this wow up. let's go back to here it works on here fine shouldn't have brought the visions back i haven't used the visions background in like literally forever um oh is that muted we were muted on there we were literally even muted on there i am fucking brilliant awesome yeah, yeah. brilliant yeah, yeah. Yeah. Never use other scenery, guys. The other one, this Visions one, that one, is bad. Uh, also, celebrate GN. He said, uh, yay, no sound. Also, turns out that muting everyone on the stream, Carlo, is the best way to get engagement. There we go. Oh, <laughs> uh, no. Anyway. Um, okay. Why do you guys turn up? This, this, <laughs> for everybody who answered Mickey's... Mickey's, you know, Mickey's questionnaire, thank you, you know. Mickey's questionnaire was prompted because I asked Mickey, why the fuck do people turn up to Tony Grounds? It's shit. <laughs> we can't even get audio properly. No, that was that was literally that was literally, literally, literally a fucking mistake. Turns out, like, if you don't use one of your uh, one of your scenes in literally forever then don't just randomly use it when something comes up. Anyway, there we go. Uh, these apparently, according to... Um, they look they look a lot like um, Thingy Knights. Yeah, um, I mean, th this is quite literally company. a guy right. who's posted on the main group yeah. who may or may not be Italian or could be Spanish. Uh, his name is three Chinese slash Japanese characters. And he said, leak from garbage of factory. So these could be, quite literally, um, from the back of a garbage truck. <laughs> um, so, what have we got? Well, I think it's clear to say that, as Carlo says, these are the uh, Golden Company Swordsmen. Swordsmen. They're just yeah. called Swordsmen. They're called Knights, right? Like, yeah, Golden Company Swordsmen. I don't like them. I kind... I mean, they're not good quality. They're probably promo, like, test models and things like this, right? And the yeah. image quality... Yeah. Like, take everything that you're seeing and what we're about to say with a massive grain of this is salty and or not true. This could be, like, test models. It could be literally anything. We've not seen these from Simon or from a Simon source or anything like this. So this could be literally anything. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, renders, renders, renders look surprisingly nice, right? Like, yeah. they managed to create nice lighting, nice shadowing, stuff like that. Um, but I, I don't know, like, uh, I, I I don't like the guy in the top right helmet. Um, yeah. His pose is okay, but it's generic yeah, night. like, his pose is okay. The guy in the top middle, I don't like his pose. I don't... He's weird. Uh, I'm going to just... guess that the guy in the bottom left is some kind of commander because we wouldn't expect six sculpts without one. Yeah, so like a, um, uh, so like a like captain. Attachment. Yeah. And he does look attachment worthy. He has a more exciting shield than the rest and he's got a commanding pose. I think he's 
about the only model. Bottom left, a twenty-four is about the only one that I actually like. Yeah. Um. K twenty-one is okay. Reminds me of Rose Knights. In fact, he is the sculpt. Ah, I guess if you're if anyone is interested uh, and has this got some semblance of real reality to it, uh, that is the sculpt that we saw on the Seamon reveal page back in when yeah. they first showed us a bunch of images on a screen, including a large new mountain. Um, yeah. so he looks a little bit like the Rose Knight without the without the plumes and things. I think he's a fine sculpt. It's a weird pose, but it's a fine sculpt. Like it's fine. Um, I like the idea of the bloke with the banner. It just hasn't worked. Do you know what I mean? Do you know what it, what it is, and and it, or it possibly is? You know what always feels odd to me, like and maybe maybe it's like an in like an intrinsic like bias against them. You know what I mean? Not not the people, but the sculpts is. I don't like most of the sculpts that they make when they're left-handed. Why are three of these models left-handed? Well, four if you include the banner. Four of them. Four. Four of the six. Banner's left-handed. He's holding his sword in his left hand. Bucket helm in the bottom right. Holding it in his left hand. You know, guy guy advancing up in the top right. Left-handed. Top middle. Left-handed. That is weird. Like, such a weird decision. Like, who, who is sculpting as many left-handed sculpts as there are right-handed. Like, people didn't fight left-handed. Like, even if you were left-handed, you didn't fight left-handed. So, uh, Carlo's anti-left-handed. Um, yeah, I am. No, I'm gonna... But, no, but, like, one in ten people are left-handed. Yeah, I know, I know. It's really, really rare. <laughs> um, yeah. No, I have no idea. It seems really strange. I, I've just been... I bought a load of neutrals over the weekend, by the way. Uh, and I've just been getting on neutrals thinking, like, what other models are left-handed? And um, it's the Blackguards, black right? are left-handed. Yeah, the Blackguards. Black, all Blackguards are left-handed. Yeah. Um, uh, the Cutthroats. Cutthroats are left-handed. Hang on. Yeah. I think I think there are a number of Cutthroats, yeah, who hold who hold the weapon in their left hand and hold nothing in their right hand. Yeah, so this guy... This is my left, by the way, guys. Hello. Um, yeah, he's left-handed. Um... Yeah. And yeah, and like and just it, it is when I think about all the models that I don't like in the game or like units as a whole where I'm just like those sculpts are weird. They're nearly always left-handed. Maybe I'm what, biased. Maybe, what a terrible maybe, person, like, maybe I have an unreasonable hatred of of lefties, but uh yeah, I don't know. Not I'd normally like. I absolutely love Rosenates. I I I love Wardens. Um, I love a Paladin figure, right? Like an armored knight. Love it. These should tick every single box for that, and I don't like them. I'm gonna say something really weird as well, and I know that they are Golden Company. They are Mercs. You know, there's a lot to say about that. They aren't uniform enough for mercs while being too uniform. Do you know what I mean? Like, the thing that I bugs me... I think I understand what you mean. Sort of. Is yeah. It like the helmet 
too different. Like they're they're very different style helmets, very different style armors, very different editions, even different shields. Um, yes, which is fine. That's fine for a bunch of mercs. But then why are they all sword and shield? Because a lot of mercs wouldn't be like that. They'd actually have their own armaments. They're all mm -hmm. basically long sword and shield. That's just not how they would have worked, even if they were a formed unit. Um, Paul yeah, maybe, says, all these guys, maybe all these guys become neutral. It, it seems just like, like neutrals are left-handed for some reason. Maybe yeah. all these guys become neutral because they get kicked out get kicked out of their entire house. They get kicked out of where they're born for being lefty. And they just have to go on a life of neutrality. Maybe that's it. Maybe the answer to the eternal question of what makes a man neutral, as uh, as yeah. Littlefinger has posted every time, every now and then, um, what makes a man neutral? Being left-handed. That's what makes you neutral. <laughs> yeah. um, Paul said, by the way, uh, Paul Spurgeon, it seems like you're saying you got these picks from Dave down the pub. It does feel like that we got them from Dave down the pub. It really does. Um, also, Paul, for your question earlier, when are we going to come down to Essex and play? Um, when I get the opportunity to, I will. Uh, I would like to come down. Give me an excuse to visit the family as well, which, God forbid, anyone does that. Um, all right. Should we move on to the other thing that we saw? We've got. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's Golden Company Swordsman. And this is them them Lannister, them Lannister Lions of Honor Guard, Castle Cock. Rock, rock, that one. Um... Now, this is a bad picture. I'm not going to lie. This is a fucking awful picture. But, uh... Yeah, I really hope that's a bad picture because they look... Ah, uh, yeah. It's a bad picture. The pixel Terrible. These guys... These guys look like anime knights. Do you know who I do like? G24, the, uh... The, the, he's definitely like a commander unit style again. He's fine. Ooh. Absolutely he, he, fine. Yeah, he's the closest to acceptable. Yeah. I don't like I don't like how high the shoulder guards come. Like they honestly look like they honestly look like they come from like Final Fantasy fourteen or World of Warcraft or something like that, where they like wear pauldrons which are like humongous. They they oh I don't I don't like I, I don't I, got, I don't like I something. Yeah, I'm doing G yeah. G23's moment of like slightly falling over sideways. Yeah, G like... G23 <laughs> could hopefully, maybe, possibly, like be like like slightly warped. I hope he bend, is. Bend, maybe bend his ankles back so that he's not leaning to the left. Till then, God. Um, G the thing is, like the poses aren't even bad. Like G22 and G21 aren't like stereotypically bad poses. They are classic knightly poses you know shield in front sword behind or sword raised above with leading shield like those are classic like the g21 by the way is basically exactly the same as the sculpt for um the stormcrow mercs one of the stormcrow mercs is basically exactly the same sculpt yeah but it looks worse um yeah i think g22 is the best of them and i think maybe that's because it either has no helmet or he's like leaning down so that his helmet looks like it's his face but there's something about the way that the, the lion head is really high or god I, I i don't like anything in their top part i don't like anything about them i i'm so disappointed and yeah soren soren points out uh g26 is just awful yeah this um 
Now, this is going to be pixelated because I'm obviously zooming right in at this point. This kind of stance with the tiny little banner. The, line, banners is, the banner's rubbish. It's too small um, for a, you know, supposedly honor guard unit. You'd want their banner to be massive. Um, also, it's also the red cloak banner. It yeah. is literally the red cloak banner. Like, it's been uh, redone with uh, that lion head at the top is the yeah. only new bit. Um, but I just point lion. Just point out, like, I mean, Napoleonic's medieval, slightly different, right? But Napoleonic era kind of troops when you still had on a guard around, like Napoleon's guard, cavalry, and things like this. Um, and very much, it was very much a Napoleonic thing anyway. Um, but it was still true of slightly pre that and post that. But, like, having banners and having this big sigil of who you were was vitally important on the battlefield to the point where, like, there was a thing where you'd capture the enemy's colours and controlling the other person's standards was an actual thing in the battlefield. Um, I'm not even going to lie. If I was G26 here, that's his name now, by the way, just G26. If I was G26, I'd literally drop this. <laughs> I'd just be like, nah. <laughs> Why am I carrying this around? Shit. <laughs> Leave it open. Now that we've zoomed in on him, G24, like his helmet is crazy. Like his little... His little head with a helmet. Yeah. Oh, God. I don't. Um, no. His head. Hang on. His what, head ends what there. What have they done the with my beautiful here. Lannisters? <laughs> oh, dear. Uh, anyway. How many of them left handed? The banner bearer is. The banner bearer is they the seem, they, seem really, they, they seem to love this idea that the banner bearer holds the banner in the right hand and then holds the in their left um which no one they, did they everyone held banners two hands everyone yeah. held banners two-handed you wouldn't wield yeah. a sword and a banner and if you if you then had to use the banner you would use your sword in the right hand and you would you, you potentially wouldn't even have a shield necessarily but you just use your weapon your right hand you never wielded a sword and a banner at the same time yeah and and, and Ilya's absolutely right like these are just like literally from an mmo over the top armor the stuff where like you know, it is literally like an MMO, and, and this actually feels like a reality here, which is, is, like, they've basically made a load of good stuff, right? They were really happy with it. Now they need to make new content, and they and they have to ask themselves, how do we make it cooler than it used to be? Because this is supposed to be better than the other stuff, right? So how do we make it... How do we make people want this even more? Or how do we signify with like its visuals that this is better than the other thing and it's like make it bigger make it pointier make it like crazier like pointing i'm just gonna um show up the new lannister sculpt by the way i've also been given this uh so this is actually super secret i've had this for a while this is the new lannister um armor that they're introducing for tywin when his new armor comes out uh for the third version of tywin that we're gonna get are you ready? <laughs> uh, for those of you uh, who are listening on the podcast and don't get to see all this magic, I've just shown the Dragon Slayer armor set from Dark Souls. Um, yeah, this is, I mean, like, I'm not even going to lie. I think this armor looks better. Okay, it's a 3D render. Okay, it's more graphic. That looks better than this. This is completely fantasy made up. <laughs> This is mild fantasy made up. <laughs> um, yeah. 
I, I really, I, I hope that they look better in person. I but... really do. I mean, these, as, uh, as I say, like, if these have fallen out of a garbage truck in the middle of France or Italy or Spain or wherever, right, and have been picked up some guy, random Chinese guy and, like, pasted to some Italian place, um, yeah, they, uh, they could be just very early, like, sculpts and renders and things like that, and just, like, early test models, um, which I, would... I, I, I don't believe that. I don't. Do you know why a, I would? A model, a model. You don't. You don't just. This is pictures of real models. This isn't renders, right? You do a render. You get people's opinion on it. Yeah. They're like, not... no, I don't like it. You make changes. By the time that you've gone to molding, and made and produced models, like you're 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 deep to the expense. I don't think you're changing it unless, like, literally the mold doesn't work, or maybe one of the six. You're like that just that that one is crap like we have to change this one of the six of them but like well, I, bad. I propose this one to you actually um i know that they're trying to move towards doing four sculpts in a box but actually the vast majority of the time they only do um three for the older boxes they've gone towards more four now but referring to them as G21, G22, G23, 24, 25, 26, that's the kind of thing that would happen in a uh, factory or anything like that for product code for this is what they look like produced. So this was probably a test mold of the initial production and being like, this is the products that we have in the box. This is the things that get produced. This is roughly what they look like. This is what they are. Maybe even something dumb like this is what you should be producing like to uh, instructions. Um, so yeah, the text is the default font used by the Chinese plas uh, plastic factories. Yeah, so um, it says to me that this is probably a molding thing or a factory production thing of like you're going to put bits together. You're making G21s today. The G21 that you're making should look like this. Um, yes. Okay. Yeah. Something like that. I, I, I can I can see I can see that line of thought. Yeah. No. But what I'm saying, but, but what I'm saying is, is that. I think this is the product that we're getting. I believe. Yeah. I believe that this is the product that's going to arrive. I don't think these are going to. I don't think they're going to change wildly. They might. They might not. The slightly weird lean on them. They might maybe be a tiny bit different. Like, but I really don't see it myself. I think that this is what you should expect to get in that box. I've just had. I think they're quite disappointing. Just had another image sent to me from Lee Teddy. As we know, Chris is in massive talks with Simon all the time about the upcoming new sculpts um, as well. So we've got uh, the really amazing um, thing coming up for us soon. This is the new Jamie. Um, uh, uh, too true. Ah. <laughs> uh. Yeah, no, um, I'm just going to say they're okay. Do you know what I mean? Like, they're just okay. They're not amazing. I hope that they look better in real life. I hope that, I really hope that the quality of the images that we're seeing here is so bad that they look better in real life. I'm not even going to lie, right? This could be the quality of the image. But I need to go back to the uh, the swordsman here for a second. But Kate twenty two. Do you not think he looks a little bit like an alien? I think I think that's being unfair to 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 the image quality. 
Maybe. Maybe. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, I, hope I, I think he's unhelmeted. Like, he actually would maybe. Like, I mean, it could be a hairline, could be better. But, like, the overall pose, overall, like, aesthetic is a thing that I think off on both of them. I think that the Lannisters, Lannisters make the Golden Company look passable. Yeah. Anyway, um, there you go. That was a, a thing. Um, I'm glad I randomly just found that. Uh, it's uh, oh god, yeah, of course. Didn't occur to me um, that uh, G24, the model in the bottom left here, um, if it's anything that we are thinking might come out, this could be the Sentinel Enforcer. Mm -hmm. Yeah, presumably. Yeah, yeah. Because it's the bill. Um, I don't know if he has exactly the same shield, but the Sentinel, the Sentinel Enforcer, roughly speaking, has that shield, has that armor style. He didn't have... He was unhelmeted. Yes. That's why we've never seen this before. Um, but... Not looking good, is it? Well, I mean, I can't say it's not looking good. Just a bit of a shame. I, I don't like them. I don't like them. You know, that's just disappoint. Uh, you know, disappointing because normally, normally they they really hit the mark, uh, especially recently. You know. Uh, yeah. Much. I think mostly, mostly, mostly they knock it out of the park. But uh, but ever since I saw even the um, even we saw the box art image of these guys, I was already worried. You know, I was already thinking that doesn't look good. Um, and I think I think the modelers have actually just followed the brief of what they've been given, which is way over the top. Like, I actually don't... I, I, you know, I think given given what they've been told to make, given what, like, they, they seem to be heading for, they've actually achieved what they wanted to go for. But I think, I think that's crazy. Crazy aesthetic, crazy... You know, anime style MMO game, end game paladin, as as Ilya says. You know, like it is so unrealistic. And the game outside of the dragons, like, do you know what I mean? Like outside of the dragons and some like some really you know unique things to the world. The game has always been relatively well grounded in yeah. some kind of reality, um, and I think that they don't fit the aesthetic of that. No. No, the um Yeah, they're just they're the the Golden Company Swordsmen are fine. Uh they look like they don't quite fit the bill from dismounted hedge knights, which is what I would have liked to have seen perhaps a little bit more of. Obviously they're not dismounted hedge knights, but that would have been the aesthetic I would have liked. I mean the hedge knight models are lovely. Um, if you've not picked up a box of Hedge Knights, pick them up. But the models, the four unique sculpts you get in that box are nice. Um, and people do some really great stuff. There is scope with the Golden Company here with what looks like to be flat shields and other things. There's a lot of scope for modding. I do think that the likes of Dan uh, from our club, Carlo, will get his hands on these. Tim might get his hands on these. And do some really nice stuff with them. Um, yeah, I, I, do but... think, I do think that the neutrals particularly, like, they... They look like maybe given a bit more variety, you could actually come up with twelve very unique sculpts that look good. Like 
you know, I think I think that they're very because there is enough difference in their armor. Yeah, it really opens the door to you adding any other bits that you want in, some new weapons, more different helmet styles, more bucket helmets if you want to put them on different different ranges. Um, and I think that that can mix and match really well. I think that they have room for good conversions here. Um, <laughs> I outside of like head swapping every single one of them, I I, I and even then I still think shoulders are over the top and i don't really know how you rescue them uh i i don't i don't know what those pauldrons do annoy me yeah looking again at them now and i know you said before about them not being too high but like the bit that's actually annoying me now is i'm pretty sure like it's not that the pauldrons are coming up like high up the head but, like, if you took the helmets off these blokes, I'm pretty sure the pauldrons would actually be, like, to the level of the top of their head. And yeah. that's really fucking stupid for combat design, because you now have a 90-degree arc of vision, because you can't look over your shoulder anymore because there's a big block of metal in the way. Um, and you also, also, can't, you also can't, get, can't get axed in the side of the head, because well, it no, just hit no, you so, in the pauldron. That's actually the thing. You can... Because the pauldron brings your arm up, and you go, oh! <laughs> and you knock yourself out with your own pauldron. <laughs> um, uh, Either that, or it leaves enough space that someone's still just going to come in here. Yeah. That's actually a <laughs> thing, by the way. Top. If anyone doesn't know about like medieval pauldrons and stuff, if they are too high, there's actually a genuine chance that people end up with like lacerations and things around their neck and around their head from their own like, armor. It's an actual thing. Um, it's armorsmiths were going to a long time into designing armor with you um there's loads of videos online you can read up about it um god we watch some random shit on youtube don't we carlo um, you do you were telling me about how you watch random gambling <laughs> i like maths <laughs> fair enough um, i like math and also people going to las vegas and cheating the system anyway <laughs> um Alright, so um that was a bit out of random anywhere. Anyway, back to Redka. Um I mean I mean Leap Teddy is right. If you rock up to the battlefield looking like that, you better be you better be killing dudes left, right, and center. Cause <laughs> if not, you're just gonna be a dead prat. I bet Lannister design, right? Lannister design. And the Sentinel Enforcer comes with Taunt, right? I reckon they're going to have on their native unit Taunt and Shield Wall. Because <laughs> I think they're going to be shite. <laughs> um, yeah. So, because Kevin and Tywin both have Lannister Supremacy, I think they expect you to put Kevin and or Tywin in them. So I do they think won't they have Lannister Supreme. They could come with Lannister... in that sense. Yeah, but I do think even though Lannister supremacy is like the one thing that makes Taunt less terrible. Um, I I don't know what they're gonna have. I I, I don't know. Maybe maybe they'll have the old maybe they'll have old red cloak rules and just cost seven points. Zap, 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 zap. 
and or they'll be oh, broken yeah. and have the old red cloaks with plus three wounds as well like plus one wound for every rank which is like uh, every time i do an action i'll just lance the supremacy <laughs> that would be uh that would be a big fucking please no um pavel pa pa says uh he bets on sentinel mm, it's been discussed yeah not impossible yeah, and that immediately makes them not terrible in Lannisters because movement shenanigans in Lannisters are shit, or should I say, non-existent. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I'm not sure. Anyway, anyway, that was kind of Redka. Uh, how the event went there into um, some random leaks and stuff. Um, Abyssius says probably won't have taunt if the Enforcer has it. That's exactly why they will have taunt. Remember, this is Lannister design space. They've got to have some ridiculously stupid overlap where the attachment doesn't work in its own unit. Like, it's like old Starks. Um, <laughs> uh, so, um, we also had some other stuff as well um, that happened over the weekend. Carlo, very quickly, people have said, thanks to the survey, right? You'll never get that. You'll never believe this, right? But all of the things that they said that they come and talk us for believe it or not number one from you guys was they come here for in-depth discussions on different topics well you've had chess clocks that's all you're getting today um <laughs> uh carlo carlo by the way this is the least possible like the least the least wanted thing for carlo to talk about is in-depth conversations on topics uh he doesn't want to have to do that on monday live um because it requires far too much uh, not in-depth <laughs> not in-depth discussions on topics in-depth discussions on game tactics yeah. is actually the thing that like i actually i just i just don't think that they can be discussed non-visually mm -hmm. and 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 without like examples and like specifics of lists stuff like that yeah, yeah. so i don't know i i feel i feel like that's, that's such a hard thing to discuss mm -hmm. but uh discussing meta and uh, to keep updated with the news with the other two two big ones up there there are other ones on there like hot takes on new releases interestingly carlo very disappointingly because it is my favorite segment of the week really and um for those people who do enjoy it, it is clearly their favorite segment of the well as well the least popular segment is you handing zeros out zeros or not? yeah it's a big shame best best moment of the day for me is seeing you give zero to something anyway um we will do some meta discussion quickly and uh and this fits into what people really want to uh want which is discussion of inverted commas meta you know carlo hates the word that's why i had to be careful and put it in inverted commas and um and looking at lists from events carlo your drogo list um i know you run it in a pairing the gray worm did you actually want to talk about it and actually explain why drogo why this list or is it really just kind of like ah it's easy mate this is why no, yeah, yeah, I can discuss it, you know. Um, I think the Drogo is strong. Um, if you if you look at his deck, um, I, I, I boil him down. Interestingly, you know, he has four cards, right? I boil him down entirely to one card, which is <laughs> Assault Orders. Um, that Assault Orders allows a charge with Drogo himself. Is very important, um, and I think that it's important that it says for me that means that Drogo is in a powerful unit, and that gives us um, Blood Riders, it gives us Flayed Men, and it gives us Veterans. Right. So for me, 
I know a lot. Of, some people talk about like, oh, you know, screamers are almost as good. You know, that can save yourself two points there. Drogo like fits well in them. Good, good pairing of abilities. Personally, because of the existence of assault orders, because Drogo is the only person who can take advantage of that, it's worth putting that extra two points in and taking an eight point unit. Now, when we look at those three options. Blade men are the ones that make most advantage of assault orders, right? They are incredibly damaging on the charge. They are very damaging when already stuck in because so much of their damage comes from um, comes from their panic-based damage. Whereas the Blood Riders, they're much more of a support tool because of the fact that Warcry can help your veterans really push through damage, etc. So for me, that's why I run him in Blade Men right now, because yes, veterans are a great unit. Yes, Blood Riders are still good, like you know, like really, really up there. They're basically as good as Flayed Men, except that Assault Orders really doubling down on Drogo himself being the driver of this list. I think says that Flayed Men's the most important and best place to put that. Before the drip, before the blood blood rider nerf, I you know I felt that their fueled by slaughter meant that you could be incredibly aggressive and incredibly all in on Drogo in the blood riders. I became a better Drogo player once I really sifted through the deck and worked out that Adjurat and lead by example might as well only say draw attack this card. Yep. Okay. Literally. I, at least in my list, in, in the way that I'm running them, Adravat, lead by example, bin them instantly. Draw a new card. Ride by attack, Jorah has a weird place within. Sometimes it can get you out of a bad situation where you like want to be on the other side of a unit, um, but you're like stuck engaged with them, but you can't kill them. But it effectively only works on movement six units. So it only works on veterans, really, in reality, or Jorah. Because a movement five unit can't jump through a unit. Uh, it can only kind of glance it, and that's if you're not engaged. Yeah. So of those four cards, Assault Orders is the only one that matters. And yet, I believe in Assault Orders so much that he is a worthwhile commander for that one thing. There is an added bonus, which, which is that Adjuvat and Lead by Example help you play through your deck quicker. I, I might not be so I might not be happy with Drogo if those two cards didn't allow me to draw cards. Mm-hmm. Um Swift Retreat, is it? Is yeah, the card that he removes from the deck? Sudden retreat. Sudden retreat. Yeah. You also have to consider with Targaryen commanders what card you remove. And there are some that are incredibly important. Sudden retreat is not the best card to lose, but it's also not the worst, you know. Um swift reposition, super important card in my opinion. Overrun, entirely based on the situation, but mostly a pretty weak card, I would say. Moving on through the deck, uh Fire and Blood is one of my favorite cards, actually. I just I use it aggressively op- often for the charge reroll. Um field control. We all know that I think that it is the number one reason play Targaryens effectively because it can win you entire matchups but mostly it's worthless but just the fact that it can win you certain matchups makes it important 
And Blood of the Dragon is also a great, great card. Of all the, you know, quest cards, the get back in the game cards, counter kill cards, I think that Blood of the Dragon has some of the best effects. Plus one attack yeah. die and uh, the minus one wound is it, it, really, really top rated. Um, very, very good on, on Drogo or in Veterans. On Soft of Advance, neither here nor there. You know, whoa, like... whoa, whoa. Can I just point out, Carlo, that uh, you played Unstoppable Advance. I did play Unstoppable Advance. Bottom action, and yep. uh, it wasn't First a complete time I took a plus three move on the surge four. Um, yeah, which uh, which which actually, you know, it got me onto the center objective, and I mean, probably not just one VP for getting onto it, but it scored it to me the next turn as well. So I guess it scored me two victory points, but. Uh, it, it was it was literally the first time I've ever used that, and I've played Drogo a lot of times. Um, overall, so I think that that creates quite a strong deck. Um, you know, if I could personally keep Sudden Retreat, I probably would, and I personally would like. I'd rather maybe get rid of Unstoppable Advance, or maybe although you know Unstoppable Advance can allow really interesting things with Palisades as well. You can do a lot with terrain. Personally, I'm finding like I often set up for it and then I don't have it at the right time. Therefore, it becomes a real liability because I've set up for like a really interesting play and then it just out. Uh, actually, I'd also happily swap it out for Overrun myself. I think that overrated because of the fact that it's an amazing thing at one time. And yeah. Um, Rogo and Zorse Riders, what do I think of that? Um, no, I don't like that myself, Paul. Um, it's not terrible, but again, we're like we're cheaping out on the unit that I want to be my dominant force, right? And me, um, I like to be able to like I think that blade men are strong enough that you can slam them into the front of stuff. You don't be really clever, really tricky, and get into flanks and stuff like that. I can I this is a blunt force instrument that just hits things in the face and then hits them again. And this is a really important part where I say it hits them and then it hits them again. Because to me, what makes this list powerful is that it has two power pieces. Uh, we might as well move on to the list, you know. But yeah. um, Assault Orders is a large part of that. It can get you a charge when your opponent might not expect it, get you a double activation, get you a charge, and then an attack later in the round when your opponent thinks that it's not possible. Unlikely that the board's not full. But... Um, the list as a whole also has the Dalthraki Veterans as another power piece. Now, this is rare, I would say, to have two eight-point cavalry units. Technically, with the Fortune Seeker, it's actually a nine-point unit. You know, I've spent 17 points on these cavalry, plus my commander, who has, you know, a good two, three points of value in him. I'm, I'm, I'm putting 20 points practically into these units. And yet, very importantly, everything else that I buy bring me to eight activations. This means that in an eight versus eight game, I can still rely on a turn two to three or three to four, where I get a charge at the end of the round, and then I open with after it. Thought orders becomes another thing on top of that. So I think that it's so, so important to invest heavily in that play to use everything else to set, set yourself up around that. That is why um, that is why the Stormcrow Mercenaries with the Unsullied Officer exist. For seven points, bring two activations um, and, and, and 12 wounds, which is quite important because, you know, like 
you can bring two activations for say like six points in some places but you're not going to bring that many bodies to the table and it can work quite differently depending on what exactly we're talking about yeah i mean it's um, basically only wolves or um or yeah freedmen yeah yeah at that point. wolves freedmen you know other than that we're talking about four point four point pairings and stuff like that yeah. so we have this dual system like effectively I think you should list, think of the list in two different ways. Um, there's the Flayed Men and the Stormcrow Mercenaries who bring activation advantage. And Drogo Flayed Men are looking to double tap things. They're looking to double down. They're looking to charge things and free themselves up and make another attack um, at the start of the next round. Or maybe they're looking to um, use an Assault Order's charge and then use his own activation to attack again. Mm -hmm. Now there is um um sorry, I was just distracted by whether discussion about whether or not my audio was good today and I was like, oh no, have people been missing this entire audio because it's bad. No, no, it's going great. <laughs> and then um there is another part of the list which actually functions entirely independently of it, which is the Dolthraki veterans and Jorah Mormont pair incredibly well together. <laughs> yeah. Um Jorah, obviously, to use his order to scout, weak um, scout weakness or Opening, expose weakness or scout openings. Yeah, yeah, that's that's what it's called. Um, and then the veterans utilize the whole range of abilities, which is that they can activate, maneuver, take a shot off of that maneuver, and then they can charge or they can shoot again. They've got the whole action ahead of them. And Jorah allows them to gain that rerolls to hit and precision on that entire attack. It means that they can double shoot, very powerful. They can shoot and charge, very, very powerful. They can use that shift to, you know, more easily get into flanks. These guys are not there to charge things in the front. They're there to be tricky, maneuver. As the game goes on, these guys become more and more and more powerful. Rogo, on the other hand, is a very, very strong opening to just hit somebody in the front and start to pull units around and create a focal point for the battlefield. That's why I think that is three point save. This three plus save is very, very important because he leads the charge. He leads, goes out there first and then takes counter hits. That's why I don't like him in Screamers with a five up save. Don't like him in Source Riders. You know, you don't have sudden retreat. Yeah. Uh. It's very, very rare that a list put out a dual threat in that way. Two incredibly powerful units in their own right and still maintain eight activations. And I think that that's what makes the list so powerful. It does have a weakness, and that is that it has very few actual wounds on the board. Yes. So it is only 39 wounds in total. Yeah. Right? I may have eight activations. And I may have five on-board activations if you include Relentless. But I have a total of 39 wounds. I don't even have anywhere close to as many wounds as four combat units. And three units plus a very risky solo plus three NCU. That is the trade-off that you have to make to, 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 to get such an aggressive outlook, to get such aggressive power from two units and still get to that eight activations. Personally, I do think it's incredibly 
uh, important. It's incredibly important to be able to utilize the outpositioning of your cavalry um, and to hit late in the round against, you know, um, against equal parity lists or other lists that generally field a lot of cavalry will be around seven activations. So you can outmaneuver other cavalry by having more activations. You can outmaneuver infantry by the fact that you are cavalry and can control the distancing better than they can. You can be in a position where I can charge you, but you can't charge me. So that means that you need to take an activation um, double tap effectively. Um, to get into combat with me, and that's the only thing that I have to look out for. Mm -hmm. um, its MCU package is Barry, who I think that is just... He's just my first put-in with, with Targaryens. Like, he's just... He can change the dynamic of any matchup. Yeah. Um, Baelish and Illyrio are both really, really good MCUs. Illyrio having a single replacement is is pretty important. And Baelish is just a very, very powerful and useful NCU. You can do intelligent things with it. Um, there is one change which I would make to this list after having played it more and played it into a tournament. I would actually now drop the Fortune Seeker and I would take Tycho back. Over Illyrio? Uh, I think over Illyrio. Yeah. I'm not entirely sure. Like, I think that there's a toss-up there. I like having at least one zone replacement effect. Um, Baelish technically has one, but I don't really, you know, I, I more mean you're about to grab the fifth zone, which nobody wanted. It's nice to be able to swap it for something. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I'd have to test out which one I felt. But over the weekend, I felt that I didn't use Illyrio that much. Sort of like I didn't feel that I desperately wanted him way more than I wanted the zone that I was taking anyway. Um, and that's because the way I played it and the way I wanted to play it is is that you're much better off, and particularly if you bring Tycho in instead, you're much better off meeting your opponent's damage with more damage of your own rather than trying to outheal it. This isn't a sustain list; it is a list which goes and deletes activations and. And keeps going like it just keeps piling on the pressure keeps mounting up the pressure and at the weekend you know like i came i tabled two of my opponents and came close i you know or like threatened towards tabling the other two so that the, the i never played the mission I, I didn't play the mission once at all. all all four modes i barely went for an objective at all i barely did anything around mission play this was win the fight first and foremost think about the score line afterwards and i think once i adopted that strategy which is way out of my own normal comfort zone um i got a lot better with the list um and it performed really really well four out of four wins um and i and i and i think that it's a strong list like i say i'd change the taiko personally i think that it's the best list that um Bugs can put out right now um but it took me a while to learn how to use it um, it took me a while to learn how to keep the Stormcrow mercenaries alive because they are very, very important as a two activation battery. It took me a while to understand when veterans were my important damage unit or when Drogo was my important damage unit. Like, mm -hmm. really have to, like, you can't, 
You can pressure with both, but really effectively one leads and the other one supports is the way I see it. And in some matchups, and it is basically matchup dependent on whether or not um, double tapping with veterans is going to get you kills or whether or not front charges with, with flayed men is going to get you kills. Um, and the other one basically supports and kind of helps the helps the first main one kind of get out of combat and declare more charges and do uh, do more. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, we've I've played against this list far too many times. Um, from the other side, uh, the veterans alone are the piece you need to be the most worried about. As much as Drogo is a pain in the ass, um, and he is a pain in the ass. Um, obviously, expert duelists and things is something you have to think about. Play around as an opponent player, uh, depending on what your list looks like. The veterans are the most dangerous piece in the list, naturally. Mm-hmm. Um, and in my game against Carlo, you know, somewhat helped by Clash of Kings, Drogo getting the extra VPs for killing stuff. Um, but very much in the list I played against Carlo. And when we played the match a couple of days ago, right, Carlo, is if you can catch the the, the veterans out early, that is your door to winning the game. Uh-huh, um, yeah, a hundred percent, and and even and even actually just bringing them down to one rank, which again is why I think that Tycho is really really important because yeah. the veterans' power is being able to roll seven dice twice in a round. Right, yeah. as soon as you make them roll four dice twice in a round because they're on a single rank, they might as well just be another unit, right? Because they're effectively rolling eight dice, except for the fact that there are two morale tests off the back of it. But like morale damage is not. You know, like so many people play very morale-resistant armies. These guys, I like the duality of it. I, yeah. I think the list has is, is very all-comers. The veterans, they struggle against things with amazing armor saves, right? They, they, <laughs> well, they, yeah. <laughs> well, okay, there's precision. There's precision, precision but like Jorah's positioning and stuff matters around yeah. that. And, you know, you can't always punch through damage no. because of it necessarily, right? Yeah. But Drogo Flayed Men, they care not for armor saves at all. There are very few units out there who are resistant to volume damage, so like 14 dice coming out of the veterans, and also resistant to a charge which leads to a vicious intimidating presence. And don't forget that Carl Drogo, no matter how good your armor save is or how much hardened you have or whatever it is, Carl Drogo guarantees that one of those wounds are going through. So you're always taking that test. There is no question about that. So the duality of their threat, that there is no unit in the game really who's safe from both of those. And if you are, I challenge you this, you are safe from those two things. No way are you as maneuverable as I am. And so I'm just going to ignore you. And I'm going to maneuver around, and I'm going to kill everything else. This um, is, by the way, that on that point, guys. I mean, it brings up a discussion for Greyjoy and Free Folk lists. I think when it comes to playing mm-hmm. against this kind of stuff, uh, other factions don't. Night's Watch can do it as well, but like, it's less of an option for other factions. This is exactly why, when we talk about those factions looking at a nine list, to break that double activation that is possible with this this targ lists like this is unbelievably important the moment i see drogo lists at seven i'm less concerned like it doesn't mean they're not good lists like they run exactly the same kind of list that's being run here 
but I'm less concerned because I don't have the same kind of threat expectancy in the way that Carlo talks about setup. Um, a nine list actually allows you to navigate this um, much more safely, and it makes uh, the the Drogo player have to play differently, um, yeah. or it, it gives them something in the ballpark that they have to kind of like. It's a spanner in the works, right? Um, and uh, and the only two factions that can really do that are the are Free Folk and and Greyjoys. Realistically, I mean, so, so Free Folk and Greyjoy can can outdivate you uh, naturally, effectively, like w with lists that aren't just troll lists, right? Um, and that's when veterans really come into their own because these lists that are wildly out-activating you, the veterans, they don't actually necessarily need to go last. They don't need to um, have a attack and then another attack at the start of the next round. Veterans can go and put themselves in a position where only one unit can really see them or get to them while double-tapping that unit, right? And nearly all of those units that are involved in these spam armies they go down to volume fire. They go down to 14 dice. You you would hope to one-shot a free folk unit, you know, raiders or trappers, um, with 14 dice um, and two tests off of the back of that. Um, Greyjoy archers, trappers as well. You know, don't forget, you can shoot them and you don't have to engage them. Trappers, good chance, maybe, you know, maybe with Asher, like, maybe not, but, like, uh, yeah, I think I think you have you have a toolbox that can meet so many threats. Um, just quickly to answer Lyca's question, um, yeah. I find that Jora, until the very end of the game, where the positioning's getting all over the table, and I maybe grabbed an objective with Jora, is about the only times that he dies, other than to wildling diplomacy, which is his other huge thing. Um, uh, I find archers can't shoot him because um archers can't get like they are they are always going to get killed by veterans before we meet this range mm -hmm. he is fast enough and i have activation advantage so generally speaking and and also uh, this is this is a quite important tactical choice with the list if you have cavalry i'm probably charging your cavalry yeah. And I'm ignoring your infantry. So you don't have spare cavalry kicking around to go and to go and get him with because I'm charging you in the front, face first, my cavalry into your cavalry because I because 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 the flayed men are great, great against other cav. Um so I find that if you just charge block with him a lot, so he mostly comes and just sits behind another unit blocking his 50%. He's almost always unchargeable. There are some times where it's a little bit annoying in terms of activation order. You can't activate him quite where you want, in the order that you want to, because the position you want him to be in either currently is blocked or some, or you know, is dangerous right now. So he doesn't always get to where you want him to be. And I'm willing to forego his ability to scout openings to keep him alive. Like, yeah. if I have the opportunity to get him into range, I will, if I can do so safely. I won't push him into range if I don't think it's safe. He will literally sit in the back corner of the board, but he can maneuver 18 inches, so he can get there very, very fast. He can maneuver eight, you know, he can maneuver six, march another 12, and then he can scout openings 12 inches from there. I could, I could sit him in the corner of the board, 
and I could still scout openings your side of the board within one turn or, or like, you know, his activation yeah. and then by the next turn I can do it. So if there's free space, he can get there very, very quickly. The time that he generally gets caught is because I've been willing to sacrifice him. I put him on a objective, generally speaking, to score a point, knowing that you will charge him and kill him first thing next round. But I'm also generally okay with that trade because it's a point for a point trade, but it's probably not your whole activation to charge him and kill him. Now you're in a position that I can counter. Generally late in the game, where I know that I'm up and I'm just trying to trade out points or something like that. Um, yeah, I think that was all the questions. Yeah, so the originally there was a time where this list didn't have Fortune Seeker in, and it did have um, it had uh, what's his name now, uh, Jack and Agar, mm-hmm. and Jack and Agar to copy um, copy the uh, to copy the Barristan effect. That was when. That was specifically for the very common double relentless night watch. If you're if you, you you hate and face against double relentless night watch all the time, then yeah, I'd, I'd say go for that. You can you can block lots of relentless, lots of orders, lots of powerful effects. Um, consider taking out maybe there for that because yeah. you probably want the Illyrio healing. Um, the other thing that I am thinking about right now is is that Fortune Seeker, you know, is a good swap uh, for Tycho because he allows you to take a hit back, allows you to be aggressive, put out a hit, take something back, and then just keep going. You, you just put Alerio down and keep pushing on through, and just and just playing a trade out thing. And as I say, you've got only thirty nine wounds in the whole list. Adding plus five wounds to that is is really quite a big swing. Mm-hmm. Um, um... Just quickly. Are there any thoughts about that list? I think, I think no. In general, I, I think it's powerful, and uh, I, w- I personally wouldn't make any other changes to it. Um, mm-hmm. I do think that the Fortune Seeker actually is a is an important part. Like until I played it a few times, I did used to like the Fortune Seeker a lot, and I think that it's actually something that I've been meaning to discuss for a while. Which is, I think, motivated by coin. On an aggressive unit, so we're talking about Fortune Seeker or Bron, or you know where else it comes up. I don't count the Stormcrow Mercs because their attack is crap, right? So like yeah. it's not threatening enough. But Fortune Seeker ability of motivated by coin is actually, I think, a very important ability to be able to push through damage when your opponent wants to slow the pace of the game. Your opponent wants you to open with swords, do an attack, and they will take money bags in return. But motivated by coin allows you to basically say, this is mutually assured destruction. I'm going to open with a money bag attack, and you have to attack me back. Otherwise, I'm going to attack you again, right? And that allows you again feeds into this concept and idea that this list is going to win in a tabling fight. It's not going to win in an objective-based mode. It's not going to win if your opponent can just sustain through the damage that you do. Mm-hmm. I have got a question about that and uh, a, a discussion on meta uh, on the, off the back of that that I'll follow up with uh, in a minute. But just uh, very quick, and I do mean very quick, thoughts on the mm-hmm. Grey, Grey Worm list. One of the questions that has come up in the chat was why the Roos uh, Bolton in there? 
So the Grey Room list is a little bit of a troll, right? Like, I mean, it's not like an actual troll, but it is again very light on wounds. I think it again comes in at 39 wounds. It's yep. three combat units and Jorah. But it is, if we count Relentless, it is a nine activation list. How can you possibly have a nine activation list and 39 wounds at the same time? It's almost, almost impossible. And I'm yet here it is. <laughs> and yet here it is, it's true. Not only is it a nine activation list, but issue commands says that I could actually play anywhere up to 11 activations in a given round because I can remove order tokens, including Relentless. This is the dream situation, and the reality isn't quite as doesn't quite play out. The list doesn't quite play as well as you maybe hope it does. There are so many orders here. There is Shield Wall, there is Relentless, there is Set for Charge, and they all combine incredibly well with Battle Endurance. I think that Battle Endurance is an amazing card now, and that's why it's Grey Worm specifically. Battle Endurance, Issue Commands, to regenerate these tokens. Mm -hmm. That's also why it's Pikeman and not Swordsman, because multiple uses for these order replenishment better than what the Swordsman offer, which is like a native stat line, which is very, very powerful. This list, I think, does work. Like, I do think it does work. And yet, when I sat down in an event and I wasn't like, oh, I want to test this list or try this list, did feel every single time like, no, but Jorah is my better choice. And so maybe the reality is, is that this list just isn't that strong. Or maybe it's more that I wasn't willing to take the risk, which is, is that this list needs issue commands and, and battle endurance, etc., to come out at the right time. So it's a riskier proposition because it's more draw dependent. Is it? Without going and starting a huge discussion, is this realistically just a list that you would run against certain opponents, as in like certain types of list matchups? Like, um, you're running the Drogo the vo most of the time, but if you're running into, say, and I'm, I really am making this up here, but if you're running into, say, a Baratheon player, then this is the list you might consider. Yeah, or... effectively, if I, if I thought that I couldn't kill you with Drogo, like that I couldn't win the fight, this list has a really different dynamic, which is it's incredibly defensive. Um, and most importantly, it has great sustain and it fights. It just gets stronger and stronger and stronger as the game goes on. Like, mm -hmm. I, again, I just come back to like double battle endurance on your two different pikemen who can both activate twice a round. It's just, it's just mental. Like, by the time you get to round four and round five, the stats that these guys have the native abilities these guys have, it obscene. Like, nothing nothing will stand against that unit at that point, right? You just have to get there. You have to have not lost the game by the time that happens. Specifically, the NCUs, Roos is actually, like, the last change that I made to this list. Um, was a little while where I was also leaning into even more of a troll, which was that I had Pyat Pre and Wald. Yeah, um, <laughs> that... That uh, that, that, yeah, that, that was definitely a troll. Um, but Illyrio is very, very powerful in this. I definitely wouldn't drop Illyrio in a moment because he is very useful into this sustained style and this countering style and weakening your opponent while having shield wall, while having set for charge are all really, really important things. Peter Baelish, I just, 
just he's just the second best NCU in every list. He's there without a doubt. This third NCU I have flipped around on. I tried Zaron Zoan, didn't think he was that great. Tried um didn't Danny. Um tried Danny. She gives re-rolls, but I already have Jora who can give re-rolls. And Battle Endurance gives re-rolls once you get far, further enough in. I think it might even be one of the first effects you can I think get it is, yeah. My head. On three out three plus it's re-rolls. Exactly. And um, the, the really aggressive spike damage in this is uh, Great Wor um, Grey Worm in, um, in Cutthroat. They yep. even get re-rolls if your opponent has Agnarade, right? The re-rolls with Danny. Danny should be a better NCU, but the reality is, is that she doesn't really work out. Would it would the token control from Danny not like the removal of tokens, so something like a weakened token or or a clutch panic or something like that? Is that not worth it? Well, what decision I came to is is that what Targaryens lack is they lack tokens themselves. Yes. Right. They lack the ability to generate tokens. They don't have any kind of devastating impact or anything like that. Even their card, Fire and Blood, doesn't give you tokens. It gives you more keywords. It gives you sundering and precision. It gives you stuff. Right, so I have really, really easy access to rerolls, really easy access to keywords, really easy access to good attack profiles. What I don't have easy access to is tokens to force through damage or force through an effect. That's when I landed on Roos as well. This is just three free tokens throughout the game, and that's actually quite a powerful effect, in my opinion. You can equate a panic token if used at the right time be about one and a half to two wounds, right? Even if all you're doing is re-rolling a, you've already failed the test, and I re-roll your D three to 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 get to get it up to an average of two, right? That's a wound that it's worth. If I can turn a pass test a pass test into a failed test. And that's obviously however many rules it wounds it rolls. Overall, I think that it averages out to be like just under two wounds, its effect, as long as your opponent doesn't remove it. And so you can see Roos just as his passive effect as being worth about five wounds across the game. And I think that that's actually quite good. I don't have any other way to generate panic tokens and Although this isn't a panic-based list, it does have the cutthroats with the vicious. It's just nice to have another way because the list can force through a damage on its attack very reliably. But um, but Roos has has a place. It's a niche place. It's the third choice as the NCU. It's only because all the other in-house ones don't work. Um, and I don't have a fifth point, in my opinion. Like, not a single point here is debatable. I couldn't lose a single one of them. So it can only be four-point NCU. And just all the four-point in-houses don't work. You could maybe take Pirate Prey. But, um, like, I don't want to play a three NCU versus three NCU matchup where we both get to do our three NCUs. I'd rather play quite a negative matchup where somebody does lose their last action because what I gain from my third NCU is probably not as good as what you gain with your zone replacement effect. Okay. Um, I guess this kind of leads into the next discussion point that uh, I was going to bring up. Obviously, people wanted to talk about lists, um, kind of thoughts that go into this. But um, 
a discussion that people want to talk about like meta they want to talk about like something you said earlier with the cav the drogo list that i wanted to pick up on and it plays into a discussion point that kind of lockerbury was bringing up again in the uh general discord on stats um is is the dawn of the new cavalry meta or cavalry just a thing that supports more actions equals more win meta which currently appears to be the case um that discussion there but also uh, the Drogo discussion, and I think, you know, Cavalry to some extent give us this answer to the discussion point that I was going to discuss as well, that you said Drogo is designed to win the fight and you don't play game modes. Yeah. Um, do you think that Drogo's strength ultimately in the game right now and where Drogo currently lies, and to some extent in one in 2021 before Season 1 came out, do you think his strength ultimately relies on this fact that game modes in general are slightly slower paced in scoring, allowing these armor fight him styles? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Without a doubt. Um, cavalry in general, as a rule, like literally as a rule and as a unit type. I think are effectively undercasted. Okay. Um, you know, I think that I think that's always been true of Flayed Men uh, since 2021. They overshadowed, they overshadowed all the Lance Cavalry, but the Lance Cavalry have been brought up, and even Champion um, Champions of the Stag have you know been brought up. People do like them. Um, I'm 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 getting there on them. Maybe they are actually good. You know, like they do they do have a very solid profile. Um, I don't like the fact that they move. Uh, but yeah. they have, obviously have to have a drawback because they are incredibly strong. You know, a seven-five profile with all sorts of rules. Now, I just think they gave them sort of like the wrong. Maybe mm -hmm. um, they all got brought up to that level, which is I thought that personally I thought that Flayed Men were probably too strong. Right, cavalry mm -hmm. maneuvers incredibly important if you know how to control distancing, and also it's incredibly important if you're playing a person who uses positioning to block charges, uses positioning to like be out of line of sight and stuff like that. Because the cavalry maneuver just gets around all of that, right? Like it's just like I'm not in the position where I want to be when I start my activation. So I'm just gonna start my activation five inches further further over somewhere. Now I'm in your flank. Now I can see something. Now I can charge something charge. Overall I think that the cost that they give to that is just low like it just is low um across the whole game particularly since they made all all, all except the brigands it all like cavalry six points right they, they, they made they brought light cavalry also into the fold where like the cavalry maneuver is just really really undercosted i think that if we were to separate out how much everybody's paid for like every individual stat and what the baseline things were you'd find that like Cavalry as a rule is just not being charged very highly. Yeah. Um, and when we see that, and the fact that they previously had a big downside, which was they were they are not good at contesting or holding objectives because they only have two ranks. Mm -hmm. But when I tell you that, in my opinion, holding and controlling ranks now just way way less important like it's just 
I think I, that people, 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 other people will say like, "What's the difference? It's only one point around." Um, you know, like almost nothing's changed. Like I think that it's a monumental shift in the mentality towards the game. It's it's a whole extra round of fighting that will always happen, effectively in my mind. That really does. You know, like you you can tell me that you think that it's in a really nice balanced place, but for me as a competitive player. I have flipped entirely from believing that the best strategy is controlling objectives. Now I personally believe that the best strategy is going out to kill my opponent. Yes. Right? Like, yeah, yeah. I am a competitive player. I never, you know, like I don't, um, you know, like I, I don't think that there are, I don't think that there are any negative connotations about that. I look for what I think is currently the best strategy in the game, and then I try and implement it as well as I can. Right now, I believe the best strategy in the game is to go out there and kill my opponent. So I create lists and I play in a style that is designed to do that because I believe it's the best strategy. Yep. When I believed the best strategy was controlling objectives, I built lists and I played a game style that went out to control the objectives. And I think that the lean towards damage being important and controlling objectives not being important has again increased the value of cavalry, increased uh, their role, increased the amount that you should rely on them, and that you can just go out there and it doesn't matter if you don't contest that objective because in a round or two later, you will just kill the unit. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's. that's uh... That is, yeah, very good point. And and actually, it's one of the biggest comments that I've currently, myself, when talk about free folk, got a major issue with. Um, you've seen the way I've designed my list, Carla. We talked about it Friday. Like the, the, It's almost negative way that the current Mance list that I run plays. It's very mm -hmm. negative. And that's because I believe that the free folk walking around and killing things, one-shotting things, has actually disappeared with the, with the disappearance of Spearwives. We don't have the option of Mag and Chariots currently in the UK, which does twist that as well, because those are two big, very important things with, within Free Folk, which play into that mm -hmm. style. But I mean, 100%, uh -huh. yeah. you know, I, I talked to you about my stylist, and I'm not going to go into it now. But um, but my second list for, for, for Free Folk is going to be Tormund, and it's going to be Tormund. You've seen it. It's a Tormund list that goes, right, I'm going to run Mag, I'm going to run some other stuff. And I'm just going to come and fucking kill you. And I have no yeah. intention. I'm going to counter charge. I'm going to auto six charge. I'm going to. Yeah. And, and, and you're probably going to throw everything you can at Mag doing as much as possible. Yeah. Yeah. I'm um, just going to absolutely. And, and, and Tormund is going to be in a unit that can charge into you if he gets the counter charge off and go, ha, lol. Now I can activate and do a bunch of auto hits as well. Get fucked. Um, you know, uh, is that a good thing? Is that a bad thing? Uh, it's fat. It is what it is. Um, yeah, like that's the thing. Like, yeah, if people uh, in, in in a way, like you know, for for a time when uh, when I first came onto TTS, like I may not have been like, I mean, I would say that like Larks is probably like literally the poster boy. But you know, what I mean, I was up there as like a few people where it was like these people just score objectives and don't play the game, right? Like, and like, and and I would just put my hands up and say, yeah, you know, like. It's the best way to play. That doesn't mean like I am I am I am a counter player, right? But that doesn't mean that I wanted the game to be objective scoring. Like I want I want there to be definitely want there to be an element of fighting and stuff like that. 
I, I, I enjoy the game. You know what I mean? I enjoyed that style of gameplay. I, I, I enjoy fighting as well. You know, people seem to, you know, have this idea. Also, here's a great example, right? Like, people think that, like, I'm some diehard 3NCU player. No, I'm diehard that I believe 3NCUs is the best way to play right now because of the rules and because of the costing. The moment it becomes beneficial to me to play 2NCUs, I will play 2NCUs. This isn't some hill I'm trying to prove or die on. This is just what I think is best. I just do whatever I think is best to win the game. Um, and, and then obviously, like, I want to play well and I want to play other people who are playing other really good lists. But, like, I'm not going to handicap myself um, coming into a game by playing um, sub what I consider, what I personally consider suboptimal lists. Um, I still think that activation advantage is a very, very powerful way to play the game. Less powerful than it was. Um, I do believe that it used to be way, 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 only way that you can play the game. Mm -hmm. I do think that there are more viable seven activation lists and maybe crazy sixes, which are incredibly sustain-based, right? Like, yeah. that's what they need to be. They need to have, like, tons of well, it's um, the champ. rally cry. It's like the double like champ, there. double rally cry, yeah, uh, Elden or Loris. So every time you attack, you're yeah. healing. Every time you do something, you heal. Every time, you know... And effectively, you just you just hope and pray that your opponent can't get through one of them. If they do get through one of them, the whole thing's going to fall apart, right? Yeah. If you present enough that your opponent can't get through one, then you might you know you might actually do well. But like I say, you know, like this isn't. I I don't have any strong feelings about the way the game should be played, or or like that this is a tactic that is fun and this is ta a tactic that is not fun. There are lists which be which can be a ball ache to play against, and I do include insignificant in that because you know, like, be, be, because it can be really, really difficult to just like find routes to winning the game when your opponent doesn't give up victory points. But well, yeah, something I was going to touch on as well. But yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. You know, and if your opponent just won't give up victory points, then how do you win? other yep. than tabling, and, and if your opponent also has the opportunity to put more units back on the table, then realistically you're not going to table them. Um, and uh, I don't think that the fighting style is a negative. I just think that it's where we are right now. Uh, I don't think that it's a positive either. I still think that both require the same level of skill. Um, I think that the fighting has more variance in it, as <laughs> in you are less definitely going to win because you're the better player right like there is more risk involved in going out and trying to fight somebody you can get disorderly charges you can have things that 90 percent of the time should like wipe somebody out and then you just get the corner case where they don't die um and when you compare that to a style of play which is like if i control this point this point this point if i do movement in certain orders if i block certain things they're all like 100% guarantees that they will happen the way you think they will happen. The fighting, the rolling of the dice, that's where the luck comes into it. And so fighting basically is less consistent at determining who the better player is. Mm -hmm. 
but maybe you could argue in counter to that if you want to win consistently with a fighting game style that means that you are significantly better than everybody that you play because you can do it repeatedly reliably always winning even though you are also at the whims of luck yeah i mean i think it's it's a different skill in my opinion you're still setting up these moments like people don't get me wrong i'm not going to sit here and say that there wasn't issues with it but people said i always get one-shotted by people using spear wives and doing these things and it's like yeah but like if you're always getting one-shotted either the unit's doing like ridiculous number of hits and wounds every time it attacks and it's just op or maybe people are setting up for it and it's like oh hang on have you ever been charged by this thing and it's done like basically nothing and they go yeah we go so then actually the it's not as simple as just do this do this do this there is an element of setup there's an element of positioning or something that's gone into that and that could be anything it could be a flayed men charge with drogo spearwise with old free folk although i do admit that was a very high damage output with the right setup um it uses Starks with the old Stark, you know, as much as it was frustrating. Stark Zerkers coming in and going, I'm going to uppercut you. We all knew it was going to happen. But actually, like, it wasn't just something you could just do. People didn't pick up Starks, yeah. do that, and win games. They had to actually go, right, hang on, how do I set this uppercut up? Um, so, yeah. Um, I, I, I think that, like, there, there can be a question. Like, there can be a fundamental question of whether or not a unit should be able to one-shot. I mean, the literal one-shot, not the Michael yes. Chanel troll one-shot of, by one-shot we mean leave an opponent, like, not powerful enough to attack back, or like not, you know, one, I mean, literally one wound, 12 wounds. One or two wounds. <laughs> I'm, I'm talking 12 wounds in an yeah. attack. There is a fundamental principle question that you could ask whether or not any unit should be able to do it with, like, any situation. Any card play. If you believe fundamentally a unit shouldn't be able to do it, then you have to have the maximum number of dice that anybody can ever attack with be like about seven. Otherwise, you're not allowed to have any panic modifiers for amount of damage, right? If you want panic, almost like the existence of panic increasing damage means that the amount of dice that anybody's allowed to roll goes down incredibly if you want one shots to not exist. Yeah, there you... are significant ways to get 10 attacks, to get extra wounds, to get crit blow. Crit blow pretty much has to not exist if you don't want people to be one shots. Um, and you basically have to remove all panic damage increases. Otherwise, you're going to give everybody an attack profile that is about four dice. Right. You could you could do something really stupid, like if you got rid of some of the like plus three wounds on panics and stuff like that, you could have like profiles like Free Foot Raiders, which are like six five four. That's like that's yeah, yeah. There might be the odd unit or the odd faction that's allowed sevens. <laughs> um that doesn't have oh, double down elsewhere. In principle. Yeah. In principle, we pretty much have to accept that one shots can exist. Right. So then what we're considering is how reliably and a certain unit one-shot other things. Mm-hmm. And then we're discussing how powerful is the thing that is doing the one-shotting versus the thing that's being one-shot. Like, are we all okay with an eight-point unit one-shotting a four-point unit? What if it's an eight-point unit one-shotting a six-point unit? What if it's an eight-point unit one-shotting an eight-point unit? These are all semi-different things. 
And then you have to ask yourself, well, did the eight-point unit actually have any defensive abilities that made it any less likely to be one-shot than the four-point unit? Kind of a question in itself. But it's how reliably are they doing it? And more importantly, was there anything you could have done about it? Could you have removed the tokens before they attacked you? Could you have not given up your flank? Could you have removed some kind of setup that they made? Could you have blocked the tactics card in some kind of way? Now, if the answer comes down to this unit can almost always, we'll call that maybe like half the time, one shot an opponent and they couldn't do anything about it and it was a powerful unit. And yes, personally, I'm into the category of, well, yeah, that's 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 unfun. Like it's unfun if your opponent like just loses one of their units, didn't get like there was literally nothing they could do about it. Like a real like a genuinely really good player still couldn't stop that. Like nothing they could do. And it can be infuriating for people who maybe aren't at that level and they don't understand what they could have done to stop themselves being one shot. They just see themselves dying again and again and again and think, well, this is unstoppable. But I don't think that it's happening. Like personally, I don't think it exists in the game. Uh, even even it flayed men at eight points, even Drogo flayed men. I don't think they're just reliably killing stuff. Um, and uh, I, I, But I do think that it's, uh, you know, on a balance. I, I wonder... You know, there was this big thing we talked about ourselves. We we both kind of like lost our minds a little bit about this idea of Tully Cavaliers with uh with Great John. The fact that this feels like it should just be able to one-shot things without your opponent having any interaction with it, right? Like we're yeah. talking about 10 dice on the charge. Can't weaken this unit because Caitlin will remove it. You can't, you know, unless you've got some kind of card blocking mentality, um, card blocking abilities. You can't stop me from using uh, Great John's, you know, take four more wounds. I can even throw in things like Devastating Impact to grab, you know, two tokens onto you onto the charge. And yet, well, you know, like, it's not yet shown itself to be dominant. It's nobody's basically running, nobody's wiping everybody out with this Tully Cavalier list, which I personally thought was going to be a real problem. Um, so who, who, who knows, you know, like I, I, if that's not the thing, that's the big bad one shutter, then, uh, I really don't think a big bad one shutter even exists. I think this is going to sound mental, but I think you're quite literally one point short of the perfect list. You're talking about nine activations. So. Uh, we are going for, yeah. We are going for Great John in a five-point unit because there are no four-point units. House Bolt yeah. Flayed Men for the one-shot. Tully Cavaliers have got the opportunity, but the Crypt Blow and the Double Down on the Panic, I think, might be better. Um, you can replace with Tully Cavaliers. It's an eight-point cavalry unit. You will eventually land on which one ends up being better. Mercs with Rick on Usher, Merc with Bran, and the two dogs, Summer and Shaggy. It's 41 points. If there's a four-point infantry unit for Starks that gets released, then I think Starks literally overnight become the best faction. But 
I mean, I, I think that the eight activation variant is still very, very strong. Yes. Um, yeah. I think you can turn you you can turn both of those um, Stormcrow Mercs into um, into Stark Swan Swords, and they become very viable fighting units. Um, you can drop Bran and Hodor, um, but you're event. not actually pick, you're not actually picking up. Um, oh, what it's worth uh, though. You know, Bran and Hodor, I was looking at the uh, the graphs and stuff that we're working on. Bran and Hodor is one of the better attachments in Starks at the moment. Uh, by yeah, I mean, he, 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 has, he has lost a whole point, right? And, and lost nothing off of the back of it. Yeah, so um, do look at Bran. I do think there's there's space for looking at Bran and Summer. Uh, he does do well to pick up. We'll put up a Mormon vet for now. Safe play. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I, I think that I think that this is the bones of a very strong list and something that I was thinking about myself, you know, like starting to explore new list ideas now that I've moved on from Targaryens. Um, and uh, maybe, maybe looking at Stark in the future. Um, got to do the, but yeah, do the I, I just wonder how powerful it is. Uh, yeah. No, I have, yeah, yeah, I have actually, um, I have, I have started, actually started on my Greyjoys, um, got them out the box, uh, nice. opened actually opened the box of the next army and started uh started filing away a few mold lines and get them ready to uh base cook them so uh yeah they'll be coming they'll be nice. coming to a profile near you i'm sure i'll pick up some nice 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 losses in uh, in learning the faction over the next few weeks nice um more juicy juicy elo for me <laughs> um yeah i mean uh anyway there's discussion on meta um for people interested and it actually does lead quite nicely into this which is a tournament that happened in spain uh we're nearly there guys nearly gonna finish off um spain happened it's happened in madrid um it was a 24 player event in the end um and it was won by uh the Tasia, and uh it was undefeated only undefeated player the only uh clearly and a much better free folk player than myself um and uh it, it does kind of make me sad that over the four rounds that he played in his event, um, mm. he actually had less, I think, UDs. Yeah, he had 10 less UDs than I did. And if you look at his lists, uh, I want this one. It's Raiders. Wow. Yeah, I hadn't actually looked at the list. And his second list is Raiders, and he takes Mag. Um, yeah, okay. Interesting. Um, in, interesting that he's gone full insignia. Insig it is exactly uh, what we saw winning against the Night's Watch before in the awful kind of lists. You just yeah. take seven. I mean, this is only six, I think. Uh, one, two, three, four, five. So, yeah, it's only the six because he takes Walrus Clan Chieftains and Tormund uh, as his three flex and Styre, which is the um, damage flex that you take. Um, yeah, I mean, this list is absolutely fine. Like, I have no... This is a good list, right? It's a, I have no qualms about this list because it sticks to the basic principles that works for free folk. But... Yeah. I, well, I, ha I, I have a problem with this. I'm not going to lie. This is a fucking problem, in my opinion. Yeah, I, th I, think, I think we are back... Personally, I think that we are back to insignificant being a problem since the game mode change. I think that, yeah. again, you can say that uh, I'm overreacting um, to such a small, subtle change, but I think that it is very much a very knife-edge balance, uh, which is that I believe that we have moved um, 
to a situation where denial of victory points through insignificant while your opponent can't score that many points from the game mode anymore is um, in the problematic region, right? Like, I do think that it's, I think it's problematic, not because I think that this list is unbeatable, but because I don't think it's good for the game that what he's done is deployed seven raiders. Six, well, six B, yeah, six, yeah. six, six raiders. Sorry, I mean, hey, he's going to endless horde. We might as well call them eight raiders. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, I, I, endless I, horde. Anything else? And, you know, like so. Yeah, like guys, he he's going to deploy eight raiders over the game. Free folk have so many units in their entire roster, and he's ignoring them in favor of this one unit. And the only thing this one unit brings is a one rule called insignificant. We have to then say maybe insignificant is an issue. Um, and I'm particularly gonna... when spammed in that way, it's spammed such that now your opponent, outside of Clash of Kings, your opponent literally can't score victory points from killing you. And so if you can control more objectives than him, and can not get tabled, which is very, very unlikely, you will win. Flat out. Yep. You don't have to kill anything yourself. All you have to do is go out there and control the objectives. And I think it's interesting that he runs what I think is pretty trash tier attachment myself, or as Clan Chieftain. But if you go out there and your only goal is to sit on and control an objective, all costs then yeah that's going to work for you that 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 overpriced um that overpriced objective is going to um is going to be going to be worth worth two points i mean i i'm in absolute agreement <laughs> unfortunately um, again just to point out guys i i don't have a single problem with him and his lists no. which is no, no, you no. know like he, he he has looked at the game and he has said i think this is the best way for me to win yeah. And, 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 and then he goes and plays it, and I'm like, fair play. Absolutely. I have a problem with, with insignificant as a rule existing in the game, um, or at least its implementation, that similar to the way that like poor fellows were bringing too much for four points, there isn't a big enough downside to what raiders bring, considering they're the unit they're bringing insignificant. This is this is actually so. This is again a fundamental thing that I realised in the event at the weekend as well. You've you noticed in my list, Carlo. I've moved away away from raiders at four points. Typically, I I run two mm -hmm. in my list yeah. now. That's it, um, and that is a conscious choice because I'm trying to not use them as often. I'm not relying on them as much. Uh, I'm not going to completely kill myself. Tormund in free throat raiders is one of the best five point units in the fucking game. I'm not going to not do that. Um, but actually, I fundamentally believe at this point that raiders don't need insignificant the problem the problem here though is another issue and that is this list works infinitely less well the moment you move mance from the equation the moment you remove mance from this equation you can beat this list actually probably all right because it's realistic at that point that you could table it yeah. or realistic that you can get onto the objectives fast enough or at least force them off of the objectives fast yeah. enough that you can score. But the morale bubble says that most people don't have enough raw dice to get through you. Uh, and so yeah, the control. I agree with that. 
Like this, this is actually like it's the double-edged problem, and this is where free folk and any good free folk player, myself, Weasel, always talk about this issue. You can't remove free folk from the faction because it just makes Mance better, comparatively. You can't nerf Mance completely because actually there isn't much else outside of these very aggressive, maybe Tormund or I think personally I like Steer quite a lot at the moment, and those lists just suffer real fucking hard into certain tech. Like, Barristan comes out, someone knows how to use Barry in a, in a steer list, Steer's got jack shit. Um, you, like, say, you say you can't, but like... Go on. You can, guys. You can, you can just get rid of Mance. Yeah. Free folk could be shit. I'm okay with that. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's a, that's a thing, right? You can make them shit, and that that's that's an option, right? You can do that. But the real real problem is, is that there are some people who do just want free folk to be shit, like yes, they 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 don't want the horde faction to succeed. Um, you know, people people want to play and feel like elite armies are are, are not just viable but the best strategy game. Like I don't I don't have a hill that I'm trying to die on. I I don't have I'm not trying to force my own viewpoint onto the game. I, I don't care if elite armies or spam armies are the best thing. Mm -hmm. um, whichever as... is the best is the one that I will play. Uh, I'll play whatever's best, I think, for the faction that I play. So, and, you know, Free Folk are pigeonholed into this idea that they will be a spam army it, or horde army or whatever you, you know, spam indicates that we're just using one unit. Horde is the better idea. It would be it is best, and they did do a good job at least at first before the game mode changes. That like they were there were a lot of moving parts. Coordination tactics was a big part of like having multiple different units and multiple different abilities out there, and moving them around and swapping them about. But the reality of the game mode change is that now we're back into this idea that's insignificant is your by far most useful important ability. People in the chat are talking about some fixes to insignificant. Um, we actually had a discussion at our club the other week, and um, and I, it's kind of come up before. Personally, I think that the perfect fix to insignificant exists in a in the other rule that the unit has, which is adaptive, which is, yeah, unit can either have no attachments and be insignificant, or it can utilize its adaptive rule. But when it puts attachments within the unit. You could call it named attachments. You could call it any attachment. I think any attachment is just simpler rules-wise. But effectively, if you have an attachment in the unit, no longer insignificant. You know, and 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 the clear cut of that, like you know, I mean, it came about from you know, like somebody who's less, much less of a rules player, much less of a competitive player, just like saying, like, how does nobody give a shit that Tormund just died? Most units that I use are nameless nobodies, and they give up victory points when they die. This important named character in amongst the unit of raiders just died, and nobody cares. Nobody's given up victory points. And so I think that there's a perfect opportunity that is just like, you can have adaptive and get a free point, you're no longer insignificant, or you give up that free attachment point, and you have a four-point insignificant unit that doesn't have an attachment unit. And yeah, I, I honestly think that it's just it's a perfect fix to it. You know, your unit's either a point more expensive, technically not, they'll put as many units on, but you're not going to get your raid leader, you're not going to get your effect, you know. Your, your, your unit is a point less good. Probably half a point, because most of the free folk attachments are shite. <laughs> yeah. Or, or, 
it's insignificant. You get one or the other. I do and think so... um, my only my only other thing really is um, I think Endless Horde obviously needs Endless Horde needs a change. Like it's it's the dumbest yeah. card in the fucking game. Like the only card that beats Endless Horde in terms of dumb levels is Field Control because Field Control is literally a fuck whatever you want to do. It fucks not just Endless Sword, but it also fucks completely Outflank as a rule. Like, Outflank mm -hmm. literally might as well not exist. It's so dumb. Um, because of Field Control, right? And Field Control is, is oppressively good, because it's a time where you make your opponent do something when they wanted to do something else. Um, in the same way that Taunt is, but Taunt's luck-based, obviously, Field Control isn't. Um... My issue with Endless Sword is that it's just a joke. Like, uh, the game me and Carlo played at the weekend, right? Carlo gave me first turn. He said, right, if he's got it in hand, he's going to play it. And we, we've discussed this plenty of time, me and Carlo. If I have Endless Sword in my opening hand in that game, a good chance Carlo's decision to give me first player probably just throws the game for him. Like, that is the most impactful decision he can make. He takes a risk. I don't have it immediately the game is most likely he's going to win we've played this match up plenty of times we know it and that's why i wasn't that pissed off when i lost because actually i was like oh you know that's the matchup i lost it this time and, and that that could quite easily be a decision that's not even in my hands you know like yeah. I, I can i can 50 50 lose the choice for turn and then mickey's just like draws his hand cool and the sword i'll go first all right cool i'll have another unit please yeah and it's like well there's, 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 if you think it's bad that your opponent can go out there and just delete one of your units without you having any input, well, it's just as bad if your opponent can just go out there and put another unit on the board without you having any input. Yeah, like, it's, but, it's stupid. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. But I, I hadn't actually looked at I hadn't actually looked at Victor's list, and I did not realize that they were complete raider spam. You know, obviously I had looked and I knew that they were mants. Mm -hmm. um, I know that uh, Munster. Uh, who came third, um, also ran Mance. Yep. He ran Mance in the three games that he won, and he ran Rattleshirt in the one game that he lost. Man, and they are the only two free foot players in the event. They are the only two Mance players. So Mance went 100% win across the tournament. Free folk go, you know, one loss, and it was with Rattleshirt, uh, showing that free folk, when piloted in certain ways, they're still not popular. They're still not a popular choice. And they're a one, well, effectively, a one They're a one style. pony. Yeah. I mean, cool. he runs a much more interesting Mance list, which I do. I did have a look at earlier. I do like it. Uh, but they have access to all the other fun tools. So you've got Frozen Shore Bear Riders, a unit that I personally don't think is that good, but can do work. 1-1, one, one, who is your replacement for um, Tormund, who's an absolutely fine eight-point version of Tormund but with the giant kind of like ridiculousness that he brings. Um, Raiders with a raid leader and a frozen short chariot. Um, all of these things are still good. Uh, it's a different way of looking at it. I think his list could probably be better taking the frozen short bear riders out personally. Um, mm -hmm. But it's still a fundamentally good eight activation list that, hey, guess what? If he brings out Endless Horde, he's playing at nine activations, right? Yeah. I Interestingly, one of the things I will say over the whole weekend, over four games. How many times do you think I played Endless Horde, Carlo, across four games? Four times? Twice. Yeah? You don't need it to win as Free Folk. Like, I played it once because it was helpful, 
in my game to get me an extra VP. You where the I'm one that you played against me? Hmm? You count the one that you played oh, against me? No, I don't count the one I played against okay. you, no. Because, I mean, I knew you had field control in hand. I did it because it was my only route yeah. to victory. So uh, I technically played the card three times. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean... You I... deploy, redeployed a unit twice. Yes. Yeah. Um, or deployed a unit fresh. Yeah, uh, and every time I'd already done it, I never did it at the start of the game for a free unit. I'd always done it after a unit had died. Um, I, yeah, and Alex is right. Yeah, painting six units of raiders just doesn't sound fun. I, hey, there's a reason. Uh, I don't how, Howard says, obviously, stop it with field control. Interestingly, he then says raw after it. Yeah, I mean, yes, it is raw. I just think it's the rules. Like, as in, like, I don't even, I wouldn't even preface that with raw. Like, it's some kind of like discussion anymore. Like, I think it's been really, really well established that field control stops endless horde, turns it back then into the field control effect. Mm -hmm. um, and obviously, Jesse says can't apply it. But like, those two options, you got to have the card to stop it. And if you do, it can be a big play. Counterplot, not so much, because all you've done is stop the counterplot of the card. They still get the zones effect, and plot could stop many other important cards. Field control, quite different. Uh, an interaction we've discussed at length, that it is massively in the Targaryen's favor if they get it off. Those aren't options available to any other factions, though, right? Like, nope. okay, I mean, we can, what, Courtney or Courtney or Danny to get um to get counterplots but you shouldn't be planning your entire strategy around that one card like you shouldn't be bringing a whole second list for for that one card i don't think while also knowing i guess that whole list is now based around facing two folks so are we now also trying to build a list which enable them or build the list i think that um i have always thought that free folk have a problematic design space that nobody will be happy or the vast majority of people will not be happy as long as free folk are even in the discussion of top tier that even in discussion of being the top three faction then i think that makes a lot of people unhappy because there are people who like have a hill that they want to die on in terms of what the game should be versus what the game's reality is and there should be is that spam font, or actually not spam, horde font be competitive. Because they see horde, they think spam. We don't want spam to be competitive. We don't want just raiders to be competitive, the best competitive viable strategy. But if free folk can deploy six units play nine activations and all six units are different they've got two raiders they've got they've got a trappers they've got a spear wife they've got a followers of bone they've got a fence right that's six units it's possibly 20 you know you can probably fit that in right yeah you can yeah there's there's three you can fit that in and three ncus there's three three so it's a nine activation list right so three uh yeah. you have four flex points Three five-point yeah. units is fine, and you can put yeah. Tormund attachment you in one of the raiders. Yeah, you can, even, you can even get Tormund or Harmon yeah. in there. You put right? a raid leader in the other raid unit, Guys, and you put Mansa How does units. that not represent Free Folk as best as you possibly could thematically on the table? Right? Yeah. And if you have a problem with that list being good, 
then you just have a fundamental problem with free folk being good. That's a little bit different to having a problem with six raiders being good. Yeah. So like I can understand I can understand the problem there. But um yeah, I I I I think that free folk will always be a maligned faction in that way. Uh, it's interesting because actually on the flip side, you know, neutrals and Lannisters really are competing to be the worst in the game at the moment. Um, uh, Starks, surprisingly, are still not making the climb, which we expect them to do. Uh, the whole mm -hmm. Stark discussion is something that we won't discuss today. Might be save it for next time. Um, why Starks aren't really doing what we expect them to be able to do um, is a whole level of discussion that, yeah. I don't know. I don't play them. No. Um, but Lannisters, I mean, Lannisters are really where the problem lies at the moment, and it's not Free Folk are not causing Lannisters' demise. You know, Free Folk are, are not causing neutrals' problems. Like these factions just aren't good. They don't have the required tools to deal with things that Lannisters. Lannisters are struggling into Baratheons, man. Like that's a sad state of affairs, isn't it? Yeah. Iwan says the the OP Greyjoys are still in the middle. Uh, yeah, fifth, fifth base right now, negative nine. You know, like ba barely negative, but they are technically there. They've not moved far from there. You know, the time, times they've been third, maybe when everybody Push up was to like plus back. ten, right? At some point, I think. But yeah, higher, they've but... been they've been they've been sixth. But I I think that they're a really interesting faction, and uh, I'll start playing them. You maybe get more thoughts me about what I think of Greyjoys coming in in the next few weeks. Um, I'll be trying a few different things out. But I do think that there are, for all the toolbox that they have, they, they have some very distinct list builds, which I'm drawn towards, and I've seen a lot. So maybe they're not, maybe they're not as viable as I, or like, they don't have as much viability as they, I think that they have in my mind. Um, but... Is it by any chance, I'm just going to throw some ideas out there, is uh is Baylor uh and Balon the blind and uh, Wendemere and uh, yeah I, mean, I, I personally don't see a list without without Baron in I don't see a list without Wendemere in uh, third NCU you know, <laughs> make decide based on what like what you've got going on you know mm -hmm. actually I like the idea of Christopher Botley. Uh, yeah, I don't think I don't think he's trash, into cause... at least one of them. You yeah, know, it was quite an interesting play. Um, Baylor, uh, yeah, Baylor. Sorry, I always get Baylor and Baylon and Baron. Uh, Baylor as a commander just stand out great, um, and that silence men combo seems seems to be the go to thing uh, and looks really really powerful. I still have, I, I have a. I have a soft spot for semi-troll lists, so I'm really interested in Dagmar, Dagmar, Victorian, you yeah. know, coordination tactics, extra activations, like just just crazy, silly things, getting to activation counts that are just obscene, and just like having having the cards come up and just have a turn, which is unstoppable, while also being a good list at all other times that's the thing like i like things that give me the opportunity to make plays that my opponent just cannot stop combos while also combo powerful. lists that don't require the combo to win yeah combo lists that are viable when the combo doesn't work or doesn't come off 
No, there's a lot to be said there. Um, I do think that is that is interesting. Um, so yeah, that's uh, two of the events there that ran over the weekend. Uh, just a massive shout out to the Spanish community. And of course yeah. to Victor, um, who's going to be heading over to the um, A Song of Ice and Fire Stats Invitational happening at the LGT in September slash October this year. Uh, he's going to be heading over with Mikel from Spain. Um, the uh, the only other one that uh, the only one that I know anything about was uh, Trash Panda Bats um, winning the Badger Brawl tournament. It's only a small event. Um, there's 12 players, uh, which is absolutely fine. But the reason I wanted to give this guy a shout out is I believe he beat Carl Kirsten, West Coast Bannerman, in the last absolutely. round. Absolutely. Oh no, in it was the second, second round. Oh, in the second game. Yeah. Yeah. yeah in a very close nine ten, uh, and it really came down to like the last round or something like that. Um, and uh, yeah. Uh, well played to, to Joe. Um, one of these days, one of these days, we're going to have to talk about Fargo Hope Night's Watch and why why it's succeeding. Because <laughs> like I was trying to discuss the other day with uh, Sir Jacob of Glace, um, it's not about what we think, right? It's not about our opinion. It's about, okay, let's looking at it objectively. Yes, I think Vargo shit. But then look at it and go, right, what does it enable? And actually, the moment you start looking at it and what it enables, it's some really dumb shit that you can do. And it's it's safe. That's the thing. The combos are safe. I won't go into it all the time. But this, with basically whatever you want else, uh, is a safe combo, man. And it's a Carlo list. It works nearly all the time. And yet, it doesn't even need to work for the list to be good. Um, yeah, yeah. So... Yeah, anyway. I mean, uh, I, th- I think it's interesting and exciting, and it's a thing that nobody saw coming, and a thing that that good players started playing, and other people are picking up, and it's getting wider, wider use, and and yet just keeps working. You know, I'm like, gonna say it. Working. Gonna say it straight for you, Carlo. In the same way that Drogo works, right? There's this little thing called hardened, and if you can get through hardened automatically. That's pretty fucking good. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, or Basher Bubbles, Mance Bubbles, and shit like that. Um, so, uh, the last thing I want to mention, as requested uh, by um, Thomas Natchab, uh, um, he sent me a message much earlier today saying, uh, hey, uh, it would be cool if you guys could do a little shout out on the stat stream to my small TTS tournament happening in two weeks' time. Uh, he's organizing organizing this with the guys from tabletop warden mm-hmm. um they're trying out a format you're going to play the whole tournament in one weekend via tts which happened yeah. in the us last year uh, i believe the us did a variant of this um so if you want to play it's it's open to anybody um the round timings are all up there for you to look at um it's to play a whole game a whole series of games across a weekend or a, uh yeah uh, a weekend um four rounds across yeah. the two days um and yeah uh have a little look at it if you're interested in playing it, it, looks, it, looks, it looks really good uh there are eight players signed up right now yeah. i did have a look earlier in the day it is eight very strong players you know like the, the uh yeah average average rating of these eight players is is right up there um mm-hmm. but i really think that yeah like just like if, if, if you're on tts and you want to put a weekend into in you know it's not going to take your whole weekend it's not like going to a whole weekend tournament but if you really want to put some hours in and play in a really good event 
this is the one. This is the one. Uh, go and go and sign up. Have it's a really good idea. I do think that the um, shorter time scale PS event is something that people should look more seriously at and consider mm-hmm. more regularly. I think that the weekly structure, which we first established like two years ago, has its advantages, but also has its drawbacks. And uh, and the events can like draw out over time and drag out. Um, I think that uh, yeah, four rounds over two days, perfect. Yeah, definitely. Um, also, shout out to some of the events. Uh, I'll go through the list as we normally do. We've got some other little things we're going to do before we finish as well. But shout out to the future tournaments we've got coming up this week. For those of you not interested, the list is huge, by the way. Look at this. There's a list of absolutely fucking tons of events. Excuse my language. But we've got um, an event happening in Zargotha in Spain. That's a butchered that um so that is happening on saturday we've got an event happening in denmark fantastic to see a danish event coming up also on saturday uh, over the two weekend we have got the fabricator fours national event qualifier so massive shout out to the uh, fabricators forge guys they are looking to stream they are going to stream it if you want to see the stream get onto twitch it will be our uh, twitch forward slash steel city legion um, it's also on their uh, YouTube page. They have had got uh, had had they have had YouTube uh, content on there for a while from their last event as well. So do check out the Fabricator Forge uh, tournament there. I expect that to be pretty fun and pretty good. Um, we've also got Honed and Ready the tournament, not the game mode, happening on Sunday in uh, I'm gonna say Russia. <laughs> uh, we've got uh, a Another event happening in Bournemouth, France on Sunday as well. We've got uh, a tournament happening on Sunday in Valencia, Spain. We have got... That's it! The next one's in uh, in um, in Quebec County, Canada uh, next week. Next Friday, not this week. So that's what? One, two, three, four, five, six, six. And someone's running a small event. Uh, six events happening this weekend. Um, across all of the different um, uh, places. Do check out the Fabricated Forge event. That's going to be the biggest one of the weekend, probably. It is the the Nationals qualifier happening um, for the region. There's going to be filming. There's going to be games streamed if you're wanting to sit down, watch some painting. Um, and there probably will be, I believe, Chris Bolton Skincare from Sunday Slaughter is also going to be filming some stuff there as well. Um, so I really hope that goes well and we see lots of content come out from those guys. Um, yeah. Uh, other things, well, it wouldn't be even the best or worst episode of Tawny Ground, Carlo, without this moment here. I know it's people's least favourite moment, but I fucking love it. And I have got some nice pictures to look at of some Rose Knights, so why in the fuck not show them off to people? I like, um, I, I like that, I like the colour tracing on these. Um, I do think that, um, the, the pink think really adds a nice accent i i like it yeah. we really like the black shields with the gold i think that, that i think those shields are a really really nice effect um i slightly regret the the like cream and cream and silver that i did my rose knights uh shields in so yeah i think i think that I, i've seen seen actually some people do their rose knights like not as renly like and, and very dark armor and no green on them. And I think that again that black and gold color scheme was there. I think that's just... Yeah. 
Yeah, definitely. Uh, I like these. I think they're they're nice. They're well well done, obviously. Um, and I agree. I think the the slight deviation away from what is kind of like standardized in Rose Knights is pretty good. Um, so yeah, solid zero. Oh yeah. Yeah, solid zero. Uh, that's from uh, Piojo. Um, guys, quite commonly on the uh, thing uh, Discord. I've probably butchered his name as well. And if I'm, I'm probably really gonna get this wrong, right? This is really putting my eggs in the basket and knowing players and where they're from. I'm pretty sure Andy is from Argentina. Yes, I was about to say it. No. Uruguay. Shit. Argentina. Jesus. <laughs> I, I had right. no idea. I was right. When you said uh, Argentina, I was like, yeah, that's right. And then you were like, hey, Uruguay. And I was like, wait, uh, uh, maybe honestly, it's not right. <laughs> honestly, for a moment, I'm like, hang on. Uruguay, Paraguay, they all have similar flags, right? Uh, a moment of madness there. No, I was right with Argentina. Yeah, so... Uh, Thanks uh, from Piaggio from Argentina there for that. Um, cool. A um, couple more things. Uh, just answering a couple of last questions in chat. Saw camera over your game, Carlo, earlier. Uh, we're going to get that game footage sometime soon. Um, it is up on uh, the Dead Meta Gaming um, YouTube channel. Um, I will quickly find it for you here. So I won't play the video because that's the last thing things he's up on screen just, just just to fill the time while mickey finds this link has anybody else noticed noticed uh steadily stealthily winter is coming has just been racking up the uh racking up the badges he's what free folk he's free folk away from the eight the eight set uh-huh. getting uh getting onto the uh elite four after that obviously uh once he's do you know he said he's not gonna he's not gonna do the neutrals right he's not gonna do the neutral commanders. no no he said he says he's not going for the neutral the neutral badge on them which is fair enough yeah like yep. uh, um is that tom no cups yeah. by the way it is isn't it it's tom no cups tom, tommy <laughs> little little tommy no cups maybe maybe he'll have to become that but you know <laughs> Sorry. makes mickey look like he's not uh not the only no cups in the i'm not eight. alone that's all that matters um yeah so uh the uh the yeah, video for those interested is up on um, Dead Meta Gaming on YouTube. Go give them a like, give them a subscribe. Uh, they've got the whole eight and a half hour stream on there of games. Um, are we going to do a recap of it necessarily, Carlo? Is it something you're interested to kind of like do anything over the top? Or do you think the Dead Meta guys, um, is there any kind of moments you wanted to do anything for or discuss? No, not really. You know, I mean, not, not in the short term. I haven't... Uh... Mm-hmm. It was it was four games in a day. I can't remember them all distinctly. You know, I uh, I don't I don't. Honestly, interestingly, I don't necessarily think that I was always my very best play. You know, like like I say, I'm not a aggressive play styles. Not my uh, not normally my thing. And I and I really uh, took a few risks, which maybe I shouldn't have at times. So mm-hmm. I wouldn't necessarily analyze it as the best plays that I've ever made. Uh, but that, I think that's a large reality of tournaments. Like, you know, I think that you hold people to how they play on the day not on you know not not on the best game that you've ever played and uh and and by the time you get to the fourth game of a tournament by the time you get to the final you really have to hope that you can hold it together and 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 it's a reality that it's not it's not easy to do so i was really really pleased you know to to win the tournament you know i'll not lie like you know i've i've i felt i haven't been playing my best recently uh and uh, I've been distracted by other things, not putting all my time into song. And it was nice to have a tournament, really focus on the game and focus on my lists, and then and then do well and perform well on the day. You know, 
uh, well enough at least <laughs> yeah. uh, perfection perfection is what we strive for but you know like getting the win um is what you have to be happy with and accept and uh and there was good games great opponents great lists um small event but i was really really pleased to uh, kind of get back to uh, not losing mickey specifically but uh but just hey. doing well and uh, and and really, and honestly, I enjoyed the game because of it. Uh, I enjoyed that I put in some effort. I spent some time studying my opponent's list for the tournament, and I think that was very useful. I almost knew flat out that I would be playing Mickey at some point. Uh, I really predicted it, and so I'd spent a significant amount of time the night before thinking about how I can win that matchup what my best list matchup is and you know how I can play differently because we played the game on Friday and I had been absolutely fucking crushed. And so I knew that I needed a new strategy and uh, and implemented a few things a bit differently and it went much better. Um, I will say just... on that exact topic as well before we kind of close off and everything, um, I wanted to face you earlier in the event. I wanted to knock you out of the event much earlier than the last round because I looked at the game modes and Clash of Kings was about the only game mode where I knew I had zero advantage from a game mode perspective going into it. And we got mm -hmm. Clash of Kings on the last round and it was like, oh shit, <laughs> this yeah, is yeah. going to be fun. It's been a better mode for me. You know, I think, yeah. I think that it's almost impossible to win in some of the other modes. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, so, you know, it was really, really good to, uh, to play against some new lists. I had to look at them and try and understand them and think about that matchup. Um, and, and going through that whole process taught me a lot about, like I say, sort of taught me about the Grey, uh, the Grey Worm list and that in reality, once it came to the list that I saw at the tournament, I never quite saw myself running Grey Worm. And so that was a weakness of the pairing in the end. But, but Drogo had a good enough matchup into all the rest that he managed to pull it off. Yes, uh, just overall, I was really pleased to get back to playing well and i felt that it's the first time i've played well since like season one has come around um and uh time to good good to move on to a new faction and uh, try some new stuff out and uh good to be back on spot mm -hmm. yeah of course thought you'd say that um last thing then very last thing literally the last thing um i was going to read out a couple of comments we got from the surveys appreciate those uh you don't need to do the surveys now, guys. Um, I've got the stuff we need and the general direction. And not, that doesn't mean I don't want to hear anyone's opinion. And feel free to drop me a message if there's any feedback or anything like that. But purely, like, the stats are overwhelmingly pointing in one direction. So unless we collected them forever, uh, then there'll be no point. Plus, turns out that if you want to access more than 10 records on SurveyMonkey at any one time, you need to pay for it. And it's bloody expensive. So I had to go through and analyze them one at a time until I hit the delete limit. There's a thing. There's a delete limit on survey responses. And because you can only see the first 10, you have to delete them as you see them to see the next one in line. And when you hit the delete limit, you can't see past that 10 that you've got. So there's like two or three survey on answers Google? that I literally can't Google? see. I know, I'll just use Google next time. Honestly, I used SurveyMonkey because it was there. And I was like, fuck it, I wanted to put it together quickly. 100% next time I'm using Google. Um, so anyway, yes. Uh, the... Uh, the, uh, uh, one of the comments uh, four hours is a turn off right away try and keep it to an hour max uh, an hour max two sorry um, 
that was uh, that was from a guy who doesn't even watch the show apparently. So great. Wow. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he tuned in just this week to find out if we were going to stick to an I hope hour. He did. I hope he did. Um, someone, someone wanted answers for questions in chat. Hopefully, we've been better today with that. Um, and we are. We do try to do that. Um, someone said they wanted to hear Carlo's thoughts on Mickey's thoughts. Great. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I normally give them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Normally, I say that's a pile of shit. <laughs> and uh, and another favorite of mine to watch the hosts bicker over mostly trying to say the same thing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh yes um but yeah no overwhelmingly people wanted to look at lists and uh, from events and discussion of meta discussion and things like this um so we'll try and do that a lot more in the uh in the kind of content that we create and certainly to underground is where i'm going to go um we are going to play it by ear um a little bit with what this kind of uh does its work and does its job for as things move over the next uh kind of couple of weeks um i am thinking uh yes probably next week there will not be an episode um god forbid there will not be an episode of turning ground next week um i'm sorry <laughs> is the only thing i have to say to that it's the easter weekend and uh, i ain't gonna lie me and carlo were going somewhere on sunday and the last time i went to this said event on a sunday i got horrifically drunk so am i yeah it's this sunday the 17th oh right cool yeah 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 the last time i went i to was this like event... where the fuck am i going on sunday <laughs> yeah the last time I, we went to this event on sunday i got really okay. yeah, 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 really fucking it. drunk um yeah. And... yeah i didn't get drunk but i did come back i did come back I, I could barely stand for about a week I, I, I hurt my back. <laughs> yeah, uh, it, it, you don't want to know. Anyway, um... yeah, it, was, it was messy. <laughs> there were police. There was everything. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> oh, don't we just love it? Anyway, so yeah, there probably won't be an episode next week, guys. Um, and that's no promise. There might be. I might decide to do one anyway. But uh, I'm just letting you guys know now, so don't necessarily uh, think of anything. Uh, and it also gives me a chance to change some things up. Um, Lockerbree's favorite thing in the world is going to be hopefully sorted so we'll sort that out um and yeah uh anyway i really hope that you all have a great easter weekend i really hope that you will have a great potentially two weeks as well and uh and yeah we'll see what after easter brings us um yeah hope you have a great time all the best luck yeah. in any event games you're playing and uh sign up for war for the wall three sign up for war for the wall three Come to and, Durham. Yeah, come up to Durham. Uh, what was the last thing I was going to say? I was going to say something else. It's not that fucking important. Oh, well. Maybe we'll have some new guests on. Maybe we'll we'll scrap Carlo for a while. He does kind of suck. Anyway, take it easy, guys. Have a good one. Ready, aim, release! Anyone see my mammoth?